if you're just like writing a little bit sometimes and then not getting, you know, like not putting it out there, you can do this for two years and still have no idea right. how good of the you get this writing ambiguous is. result. And then what do you do with an ambiguous result? You've got the like, like the nice feeling of like, well, maybe I could be crushing it. Um, and I don't have to stare in the face the fact that I'm like unambiguously not crushing it. But yeah, you don't know if there's the thing you should be doing because it's going fine, but not exceptionally well. And there's some sense in which like, yeah, this this is sort of like safe in the near term. Like exactly. you're not going to you're not going to hear. Uh, oh, wow. Like try something else. Yeah. But like, actually, if you should try something else, because just as a random hypothesis, it turns out you might be really good at podcasting. <laughs> ne- never getting that signal, never getting the nudge to try a different thing, like ends up harming you um, and ends up being difficult. Hi, listeners. This is 80K After Hours. I'm Luis Rodriguez, one of the hosts of the 80,000 Hours podcast. And in today's episode, I sat down with former 80K advising manager Alex Lawson to talk about the mistakes he sees people make when trying to do good with their careers and his advice for how to avoid them. This is very much advice I needed to hear, seeing as I've made seven of the 10 mistakes we talk about in the episode. And I'm guessing many regular listeners will find it resonates with them as well. Since we recorded this conversation, Alex left ADK to join Open Philanthropy, where he's now working on the AI governance team there, which is why I'm extra glad that we got a chance to have this chat while he was still focused on giving great career advice. In the episode, Alex and I cover not trying hard enough to fail, why shorter AI timelines don't necessarily mean you should try to work on AI right now, the downsides of constantly considering other potentially higher impact career options, and much more. So without further ado, here's Alex Lawson. Today, I'm here with Alex Lawson, who manages all of the 80,000 Hours Career Advisors. We're sitting down to talk about some of the biggest mistakes he sees people, especially early on in their career, make while trying to figure out how to have the biggest impact of their career. Thanks for doing this, Alex. Thanks for having me on. I've been really enjoying the couple of episodes I've had from you so far, and I'm honored to be one of them. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Okay, so we, yeah, today we're going to go through a long list of mistakes. So things like thinking you need to have a huge impact right away, um, or not trying hard enough to fail. Uh, and the plan is to kind of talk through those mistakes, what they look like in practice, why they happen, and how to avoid them. But yeah, before we get into it, can you say a bit more about how you came up with this list? Yeah, I think there was a cluster of ideas or like a cluster of things that I noticed were like unusually common in some people who shared some characteristics of the people like uh, we advise. And once I sort of noticed, I then realized there were other ones and was thinking about it and decided, yeah, let's see if we can talk about some of these things in a way which will maybe help more people than just the people we can visually speak to. Yeah, nice we've, well, I, in in kind of preparing for this chat, uh, framed a bunch of these, I guess, patterns you've noticed as mistakes here. But I know that you're a bit unsure about whether that's the right framing. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say about that before we, before we talk anymore? I think like (laughs) mistake does feel like the most accurate framing. Like these are, these are like, uh, ideas people have or like patterns of thought or attitudes they have that I like broadly think I want to like try to correct. Um, I think I was worried because often when I speak to people who like have one of these patterns, I don't think what's going on is like they're at fault. 
Uh, mm. And I think that some people can like quite naturally hear like you're making a mistake and kind of go like, oh, wow, I, I suck. Yeah, I'm a um, bad, I'm a bad person. I did this wrong. Yeah. And I like really don't want that to be the thing. And maybe this could be framed as something like people are listening to advice, which is like not the most appropriate advice for them. Or maybe they even need advice that's kind of in the opposite direction to most people. So like, uh, yeah, maybe I could go for like adjustments to our advice or adjustments to advice people are hearing. But yeah, I think like with some big caveat that like it's not your fault. There's a bunch <laughs> of things here that seem really hard. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do actually think most of the things we're going to talk about are just uh, mistakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. Well, let's dive in. Yeah. So one thing you hear a lot is something like, uh, I should just do the thing that ADK says is best. Um, yeah. Can you say more about what that looks like? Yeah. I think there are a bunch of different ways this can come up. Maybe the most obvious one is just like at any particular time, there's going to be something really salient that it seems like lots of people should do. And maybe it's because it's at the top of a ranked list we have. Like that is one disadvantage of having ranked lists. Yep. And so like a very like <laughs> clean version of this mistake could just be people going, well, the thing that's at number one of the list of career profiles on the ADK website is like technical AI safety research. So I guess I have to do technical AI safety research. Yeah. So like, why might this be a mistake? Um, I mean, the obvious thing is just like personal fit really matters. It matters in a bunch of ways. Um, my guess is <laughs> during a lot of this conversation, I'm going to end up saying, <laughs> did you know that personal fit's a big deal? <laughs> but I think specifically in the case of like someone is correctly realizing that a thing is really important for more people to do mm. and then still making a mistake by thinking that they have to do it what's going on is something like it's just a really bad fit for them. And I think there's there's one way which is easy for people to internalize this, which is like, I wouldn't be very good at this because I'm like dumb or stupid or something. Mm, sounds familiar. And like, and, I, and I'm just like, look, people are really different. <laughs> people are good at different things. And um, not being able to do like the thing that's at the number one place or like the thing that your friend who's read more of the website than you says is like the best thing yeah maybe there's some sense and if you realize that like the thing that's going on there is you aren't best place to do that thing maybe because you would hate it like maybe you'd be good at it but you would just hate it and you would not manage to force yourself to do it for more sure. than a couple of years just realizing okay that's like not the best thing for me to do i should do something else yeah i have some guess that like it's easier to realize that mm. um, maybe you should do something else if you realize that like one of the things that should be tracking is like who is best place to work on what rather than just like yeah I can imagine some like weird world where but it's like this ranking of like the best things for people to do and then you just like rank people by ability but like the distribution of ability is exactly the same across all the people right. you just get like the best people you put them in the best thing once that thing's full up you get the next best people you put them in the next best thing and, like the world just doesn't work like <laughs> right, that right 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 <laughs> That's maybe like the the thing that seems top of mind is is this like I've heard one job is like really important and then I have to do that. And then a couple of ways this could go wrong that are really specific. Like one of them is like try to do that despite it being a terrible fit. Don't manage to and either like get really sad and give up yep. or just like keep trying for ages and don't go anywhere. Yep. Try really hard anyway, despite it being a bad fit. That's like mm -hmm. one kind of mistake you could make. Yeah. Is there like a pattern that you see often? Like, are there some kinds of roles? Maybe it is just AI technical safety research. 
and uh, you're you're thinking something like there are loads of things to do in AI. If technical safety research isn't the thing for you, if you notice yourself feeling like I don't feel very good at this or like it sounds weird and hard and boring, uh, then like consider doing something else in AI. There are loads of other things and those things could be really great, even though they're not like literally the top of our 80,000 hours career list. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's a couple of levels at which this plays out. Well, yeah. One one thing I think does happen is is people going like, oh, it's technical or nothing. Like the, right. you know, maybe there's some like societal thing here where people associate like mathematical ability or like, uh, yeah, scientific ability with sort of generalized intelligence more strongly than, than they associate some other things that make you great at jobs. Yeah. The, yeah, the level of abstraction that people might make, make a mistake with there is is going like, oh, well, either I like have to do AI technical safety or I suck. I guess the mistake that happens there is I, I do actually think people will, if they are a terrible fit for technical work, correctly rule themselves out of technical work, mm. but then just conclude that they suck. And that seems bad to me because <laughs> yeah. there's like a bunch of other stuff that they could do that seems really great. And I don't want people feeling like they suck. Yeah. Then there is like a more specific thing that can happen where let's let's like dig in within technical safety. So someone is like pretty technical. Maybe they've got like a good programming background. Maybe they're good at maths and they're like, well, I have to do the best thing. Mm. And like, sure, AI technical safety is the best thing. But like, what's the best thing in AI technical Within safety? That, okay. And then someone might say, you have to like figure out the whole problem from first principles to have any idea of like how to make progress. No and then it turns out that the, the like technical thing that caused them to move in this direction was like, they're just great at programming. They just like write really good code really fast. Everyone else got sped up by GPT-4. They didn't get sped up by GPT-4 because they can write that fast anyway. Uh, you can tell <laughs> by now that I'm not one of these people. <laughs> it's like, yep. I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Um, but yeah, like maybe they're really good at something that isn't sitting down and doing like something close to philosophy. But right. they go, well, the, but the real value here right. is those like philosopher kings. So I should try to be one of them. Yep, not be and a I programmer. Think, yep. Yeah, and there I think that how the mistake will look is... Rather than sort of not trying at all and just feeling like there's nothing else that it's worth even trying and just like not really bothering or just like trying something else, but like feeling really bad about it. Yeah. They'll, they'll actually just like try to do the thing that like maybe does seem best on some like objective list sure. if everyone had equal ability, though I'm not sure how valuable that list is. Right. Rather than the thing that is like way better for them. Mm. Okay, so let's say I uh, come to you for advice. I'm a great programmer, uh, but I want to do the most good. And the thing that supposedly uh, does the most good is working very directly on AI technical safety by being some kind of philosopher that thinks about how to notice when, a, when an AI system is misaligned. Yeah, what's going through your head? Uh, what kinds of things would you say to me? Nice. Yeah, I think, yeah, I will an answer this without making a claim about <laughs> whether there is some like uh, ranking between doing an ML engineering role and something more like sure. an abstract philosophy role. I guess the thing I'd say to someone in that situation is like measuring the performance adjusted difference between those two paths just like seems like the wrong thing to be doing. Mm. Uh, I just find it like kind of vanishingly unlikely that someone's going to be exactly as good at both. And and like, actually, if they're if a bit better one than the other, but one's way better than the other, like maybe they should do the thing that's way better than the other. Sure. But I'll typically make an additional claim, which is like, A, I expect the difference in ability to be like pretty big. Mm. And B, that actually in lots of these kind of roles, and this is actually especially true on the technical AI side, there's just quite a big supply of talent that's like pretty 
good at mm. maths and pretty good at programming. Like the bottleneck isn't really people who like might be able to do something pretty good at all. Right, right. The bottleneck's something closer to like really finding this specific thing like great, or, like great. really being great at that yeah. specific thing. And and I think people can can hear a message like that and go, "Oh wow, I'm not a super genius, so I shouldn't try." Yeah, I yeah. guess so. In in this case where I'm your advisee, um, it's something like uh, I could be great at some programming role that relates to AI, and that might not feel like the most important thing broadly. But like um, you'd argue that both kinds of roles are like pretty important, even if like we're assuming here that one is maybe more important or valuable than the other. Um, but just given that I could be great at one, that's still very important means that being great at that is just probably better than being pretty good at the other. Yeah, I think the last thing is the key thing here. Right. And I guess I do think a lot of people hear that and I've heard that kind of thing and thought, ugh, like, so wait, I can only help if I'm going to be great, if I'm going to be like one of the best people at the certain thing. And I don't know, I wonder if that's going to trigger some people to like, want to back away just because they're not going to be able to be great at anything or they worry they won't. Yeah, I think that's exactly, yeah, maybe one of the reactions I was like most keen to talk about of like all of the things that we might talk about, because I think this is where I just really want to push hard against this idea that like there are like people who are great at stuff mm. and there are people who are like not great at stuff. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you are not great at a thing, you're also going to be not great at everything else. Mm. Like, this just seems like straightforwardly false to me. Like there's there's clearly some correlation in ability, especially when you're in a like kind of similar domain. Like if someone's an amazing physicist, my guess is they're going to be like a better theoretical chemist than like mm -hmm. an average person. Sure. Um, but like great at a role or like the role is a great fit for you. I think requires like really exceptional like interest and motivation in mm. it as well. And so if I'm talking to someone who seems like they could plausibly be great at several things and the decision procedure they want to use is like, well, which of the things is best? Right. And I'll just do that one. I'm going to say like probably which of the things like you will contribute most in mm -hmm. is way more determined by like how good a match you are for that thing than mm -hmm. which of those things is like, best in the average case. And so what I'll tell people to do is I'll tell people to like try to test out how the thing's going, look for some signals of it going well. And lots of those signals will be like, I'm enjoying it. I feel like I'm mm. moving quickly. I feel like I'm learning. I feel like I'm crushing it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, actually like they do want to be looking for a signal that looks more like I'm crushing it mm -hmm. than like this is going pretty well. Um, yep. I think if someone is, is <laughs> yeah, impostery enough or like, uh, underconfident enough that, that they needed the reassurance about like, hey, find something that's pretty great for you. I do want to say like, the signals that you're crushing it should not only come from your internal narrative. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you might just miss signals that you are crushing it. Yeah, yeah. You preempted my next worry, which is like, what if you very, very rarely feel like you're crushing it and you're, that's, that's just internal to you. Uh, and it sounds like you're encouraging people to be like, have different kinds of evidence Evidence that you're crushing it might come from coworkers or managers, uh, and you should put lots of weight on that if you're the kind of person who's basically never feeling like they're crushing it. Yeah, yeah. If you try like three things, if you've decided, like, I'm just like a pretty technical person, I like thinking about AI, so I should try a bunch of stuff. Okay, you've done done this cool thing of going like, there's a problem that I have some 
fit for and like I want to work on it and then I've said hey find the thing that you're like best at within these three things and Mm -hmm. you like try all of them and it just like doesn't really feel like any of them are going that well Mm -hmm. and you're not feeling like really excited to put a bunch of work into like uh getting better at those things which you know is part of the signal of it not going super well yeah Uh, then I'm like cool okay well like you know you've you've tested out that like technical AI thing and like maybe maybe try something else like Mm -hmm. maybe actually you've just like got some information about like the variety of things that you can try in that space and and your fit is like not as great as you were excited about and you should try something else and like this just seems fine (laughs) um like you are allowed like if you're doing a test that like the test has to have some outcome where like it like isn't a success a possible outcome yeah a possible outcome yeah (laughs) yeah i mean that brings us perfectly to another mistake that it sounds like you see a lot and is one that i'm super familiar with um so this is not trying hard enough to fail I knew exactly what you meant by this as soon as you said it to me and kind of in preparation for this conversation, because it's it's a thing I think I've done like dozens of time. Um, yeah. Can you explain what this is for people for whom it's not, not immediately clear? Yeah. What is trying hard enough to fail look like? It means that like you are actually testing something. It means that like you might get a signal that this thing that you were trying at is not the thing that you should be like betting a significant chunk of your life on. Not trying hard enough to fail. What does this look like? It looks like leaving something in reserve such that if stuff doesn't go as well as you like thought that it might or thought that it should for this to be the perfect career for you, maybe the reason is just that you didn't put in that little reserve. You didn't try that little extra thing. I kind of feel like putting you on the spot here and just <laughs> okay. like, you know, I, I am the thing I do a lot isn't like explaining stuff in the abstract. It's like responding to stuff people say. Sure. So if you feel up for it, yeah, and I, yeah, and yeah. I like Let's do promise me. the audience that I'm like <laughs> actually putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, is there a time you think you like didn't try hard enough that you actually were like able to fail? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do feel like um, I've gotten the advice uh, I don't know, dozens of times uh, that was like, you're pretty early career, um, test out this thing. Early on, that thing was research. I think what happened, yeah, I applied for a job at 80,000 hours actually. And I had almost no research experience that was like the kind of research that 80,000 hours was doing. But I applied, I ended up doing a work trial, um, yeah, with Rob. And I didn't get the job at the end of the work trial and it was it was really getting. He then told me to try really hard at research, um, see if I could get another job, which I did. I got an offer from Rethink Priorities to do research. And he said, try really hard to nail it, to like excel. And if you don't, that's really, really, really valuable information. And I just like, I don't even know that we need to go into like exactly what the outcome was researching at rethink priorities went like pretty well all things considered but there was like really no time while I was doing it that I was open to failing I was like pretending to to like be trying to fail but mostly I was like not wanting people to see early drafts so that they wouldn't notice if I was doing bad research. And I was, yeah, I mean, delaying publishing things so that I wouldn't get comments from people saying, like, this isn't great. And yeah, I mean, this has happened again and again. Yeah, I I like this example. My guess is actually the thing I have in my head is like most common is like not quite this, but I I like the example because I think I can point at a couple of different bits of it. 
So the first thing is, I think Rob gave really good advice. Mm. And one way which links to what we were talking about earlier in terms of like trying to find something that's really excellent um, and excellent for you that I think Rob's advice was good. is like, like ideally what you want to do is you want to like try really hard and then have the bar for success be like, I'm nailing this. Right, right. And I'm enjoying nailing this. Mm. And if you're like trying really hard to like make sure it's going at least fine and everyone else is seeing it going at least fine, mm-hmm. then it's going to be really hard for you to like realize that there might be something that you could be even better at. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we... <laughs> We, we've both talked a lot about uh, our own mental health and um, having inflexibly high standards. And I think this is this is a case where actually I think uh, you should have achievable standards, but like higher standards than you might naively think mm. for saying this is the bet I want to make. Right, right. And uh, that's because if you're doing these kinds of tests, presumably there are like a couple of different things that's still plausible you'd be great at. And if you're if it's like one of the first two you're trying and you're like learning that you're fine, it's like not great to settle for that option if you end up choosing it and not trying something else and learning that you would have been great at that something else. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, I think maybe a case that I I'm pretty sure I mentioned uh, in the only other interview I've done on the ADK podcast was about how I approached exams when I was a teenager hmm. Um and actually in university as well, which was like really, really not preparing as much mm. as my uh, like classmates would. Mm. And there were some other things uh, going on that like affected this. But certainly my internal narrative was like, look, if I do like well, having not tried that hard, then there's like nothing ruling out the possibility that I could have been like could have done like astonishingly well right. if I had tried really hard. And I'm like... Yeah. That internal narrative is exactly the problem. That is exactly like the thing you want to do is rule out the possibility that this is like the perfect match for you so that you can like consider whether something else is. And if you like keep yourself in this limbo of like, well, maybe this would be amazing if I tried harder at it. Yeah, there's something about like failing is really scary. It's Uh, horrible. (laughs) It's really hard. It's painful. It makes you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. And then it can also just like free you up to try stuff that's just much better for you and for everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, great. I have uh, one fewer options for things. There are like a billion things I could do with my career. I don't have to worry about that one, which is probably just good if you're not feeling like you're crushing it and enjoying it. Yeah. And I think maybe if I do want to point back to the, the rethink example for a second, I think there was a sense in which it sounds like you were doing this a lot at the like task by task level of like, yeah, you're writing some report and you don't want people to give feedback on an early draft. And um, look, unless you're terrible at research and I just like refuse to believe that's the case, Mm -hmm. uh, given that I've read some of your (laughs) research, then like if you put a ton of effort in and don't let anyone see early progress, you will reliably produce something that is at least fine. Yeah. That is at least like enough that no one is going to say, this is a catastrophe, just like don't ever bother again. Mm-hmm. And there's some sense in which like, yeah, this, this is sort of like safe in the near term. Like exactly. you're not going to hear, uh, oh, wow, like try something else. Yeah. But like actually, if you should try something else, because just as a random hypothesis, it turns out you might be really good at podcasting. <laughs> never getting that signal never getting the nudge to try a different thing like ends up harming you um and ends up being difficult yeah 
But I feel like this can look like a million different things. Um, are there other things that you've seen as an advisor um, or other like uh, ways this can look? Yeah, I think there's a few. So um, often these will come up in like early career people who are trying to test out a bunch of different things. So like one is like, let's say you think you might want to be able to do some kind of like writing based role. Like, yeah, maybe you want to be a journalist or a public intellectual or even just like a successful blogger. And so you like write a bunch of drafts and you like never really share them or like you post like one every six months. It's on the EA forum, but like not under your own name. Classic. <laughs> uh, and I think, yeah, what, what's going wrong here is like, just probably you're not going to get a ton of feedback either way. And you're probably not going to get that much better at writing. And so like, like writing careers are hard. Forget impacts just from a personal perspective. You're like just really going to have to like have a bunch of stuff go well, not just in terms of like talent for sort of clarity or like excision of ideas or like new generative ideas, but even just like how fast you can put stuff out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just like if, if you're just like writing a little bit sometimes and then not getting, you know, like not putting it out there, you can do this for two years and still have no idea right. how good of the you get this writing ambiguous is. result. And then what do you do with an ambiguous result? You've got the like, like the nice feeling of like, well, maybe I could be crushing it. Um, and I don't have to stare in the face the fact that I'm like unambiguously not crushing it. But yeah, you don't know if that's the thing you should be doing because it's going fine, but not exceptionally well. Yeah. Are there are there others? Maybe I should just say, like, there's a whole cluster of things that are like a thing you're doing part time, but like not enough of the time that you like make any progress. Um, but I think a, a clear example here is like upskilling without some sense of like where you're trying to get to mm. and without like pushing that hard to improve that quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think this can be in a bunch of domains. And I do want to distinguish this from like learning more about a thing before you dive in. I think you should sure, totally yeah. learn more about things before you dive in. Yeah. But like the signal you're trying to get if you're like, reading for a couple of hours a week about something is like hey am i interested in reading more like am right. i trying to find out more about this and mm -hmm. then like if you decide you are excited to find out more you are excited to learn more continuing to do like a couple of hours reading in your spare time a week if if we're trying to like see whether you should switch careers mm -hmm. it's just like you're just going to still be in the same position six months later yeah and yes there's some amount of like okay well like how much time can i dedicate and you know if you have a busy job this is this is hard this is a hard question you certainly want to like have got some signal of excitement. But then I've sometimes suggested to people that I would rather they like booked off a couple of days or like mm. booked a weekend and just like tried to sprint for the weekend, like directly at the thing and see, like saw how much progress they could make in that like fixed time rather than reading a little bit, but without any particular plan or right. structure and just like goes on and on for ages but so few people have talked about like how much progress you're supposed to make in an hour and a half a week mm. that like it's totally possible you're making really fast right. progress for an hour and a half a week sure. <laughs> and that's just like yeah you don't ever get any signal yeah maybe if I can try and collect together how do you know you're trying hard enough at a test I think it's just like you can describe a situation where you conclude that the thing you're trying is not working. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like having um, success and failure criteria um, that are that are objective enough to like measure measure yourself against um, seems really key here. Yeah. Here's a here's a like recent example that could be kind of cool. There was a post on the EA forum fairly recently 
about like ways to test fit for biosecurity careers. Mm, nice. um, I think it was aimed at like fairly early career people. And it was essentially just like a kind of like smallish research project. Um, can I produce a report? Uh, and it, like, it doesn't have to be like original research because like, yeah, right. can, I, can I produce like a summary of like some part of this field in like 10 hours, like five hours a day across a weekend? Yeah, great. Um, and then and then like I'll send that to some people and see whether they think it's like nonsense. But like even before I send it to anyone, you've got some like signal on like, like how was it to do that? Yeah. How would I feel if my week was like doing that? <laughs> right. Did you enjoy it? Did you get interested in the thing? Uh, was it a total slog and you felt like you could barely finish it? Yeah. And I think often this can just come quite quickly. And I do want to say there's some amount here of like, maybe it is worth persevering past initial like, sure. oh, this is rough. Like it's mm -hmm. a new thing. It depends a bit on the people, but I, I, I can imagine something going wrong where someone's like, well, well, Alex said that like <laughs> everything has to sort of like all the stars have to line up for this to be the to thing be I should try it. and do. Mm -hmm. And I've never done a timed exercise that lasted more than an hour before. And I'm 90 minutes into this thing and I'm thinking, wow, my brain seems pretty tired. So Not I guess all well. the stars aren't lining yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like maybe if you've decided to do this like sprint through a weekend thing, like maybe like try the whole weekend and then reflect back afterwards and go like, how was this in total? If yeah. I look back at what I write, am I happy with it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are all sorts of false negatives I'm sure you could get. Like, um, you're trying to do an independent research project to see if you could be good at research. But in fact, you'd actually be doing research under a manager. And so it is like kind of fine if you find it hard to stay on task and motivated um, while working independently. Um, so like, it is important to keep those things in mind and make sure you don't rule something out when you've like set up a test that isn't really testing the thing. But it does make the importance of setting up the right test seem, yeah, seem kind of key. Like, make it so that, like, it will be a reliable source of information about the actual thing that you are trying out. Yeah, I think that sounds, that sounds right. And yeah, I, I would, I do actually endorse planning the test that you're going to do, rather than just saying that you're going to be learning a, more about it over sure. time. Yeah, maybe get some feedback on like what success should look like for the thing. Um, and like, you know, do some do some thinking yourself about like, well, like, is a weekend sprint through a thing something that I would enjoy in general for anything? Right. right. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not like wedded to this particular thing being the thing you should do. Sure. But I like, yeah, I think it seems useful to contrast the other thing, which is like, I'll do some research in my spare time when I have time. And like, maybe if that research goes really well, then I should switch into doing more of this. And I'm like, if it's in your spare time with no concrete like plan and you don't even really know what the research is, it's just do some research, then my guess is you're never going to have any idea uh, based on that at least yep. how well this is going Whether to be. you're great or terrible, yeah. Yeah, I think there's maybe one, one other class of things here. One way you can get signal on like how well set up you are for a thing is like applying to some jobs Yep, that thing. This is, this is something that comes up a bunch when I speak to people and they'll say something like, oh yeah, I like, I've actually got like really good evidence that I, like, I'm not going to make it in this field because like I've applied to a bunch of things and I've been rejected. Uh, and, you know, first I'll say something like, oh man, that sucks. Like, and I, like, suck. I don't have to put on the empathy here. I am terrified of rejection in a bunch of contexts. Mm. And so like, I get that it sucks, but I will then ask like, are you, are you up for saying like, how many uh, mm -hmm. and like and sort of like how how far along the process you got and what happened mm -hmm. and then sometimes it's like 
Well, yeah, I applied for these four hyper-competitive roles that, you know, I do think I was qualified for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't say hyper-competitive. I will fill in hyper-competitive. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, I got to the final round of two of them. And then I got to like the one before the final round of the other two. And then I was rejected from all of them. So like, clearly I can't hack it. And I'm like, it sounds like you weren't applying ambitiously enough mm-hmm. if you're getting like past the that first far. round of every application. Yep, <laughs> and yep, it certainly yep. sounds like you haven't applied to enough things. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you've failed. Sounds like that could just be uh, very, very consistent with applying for a bunch of jobs and eventually getting one. Yeah. And like, to be clear, I think there's enough noise in especially the early stages of job application processes that like if someone's applied for five things and been rejected at the first stage for all of them, I'm like, oh, I'd probably have someone to have a look at your CV Mm. and like check you haven't got a spelling mistake in it or whatever. Like check you haven't been ruled out for stupid reasons, but probably just like apply a bunch more times before you like start updating on trying to get some more experience first. Right. So that's one thing that can happen. Um, But it's also possible that you apply for 20 jobs uh, that you thought you, you had a decent shot at getting and you don't get very far in any of them. And in that case, I guess both, again, that sucks. And also you've done a great job at actually trying to fail. Uh, and, and that might be a reasonable time to, uh, to call it on that particular, uh, type of role. Yeah. I think that sounds right to me. Or certainly I think call it on like trying to move in right now. Sure. sure. And like, depending on the field and a bunch of other factors, like this is why we have a one-on-one service. Um, Mm. like, yeah, maybe 20 is actually just like vanishingly low or maybe (laughs) 20 is like, uh, probably you could have started calling it at 10. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think like, this is a terrifying thing to do. I think there have been a few good pieces of advice, including on this podcast, about like how to make this less painful. Mm. I also want to shout out someone I follow on Twitter who has these little like getting rejected punch cards, which I think are kind of cool. You get ice Love cream that. if you get a certain number of rejections. <laughs> no way. Um, That's great. Yeah, we'll put a link into her uh, tweet. I think there's like an Etsy account that got set up where the money goes to give directly. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I actually do want to pause and talk for a minute about how to make this be easier. Because um, it seems like, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to like sit here and talk about why everyone should be trying harder to fail. I've personally basically never succeeded at this. At least, I mean, I think I've gotten better at it. It's just always stayed scary and hard and painful to me. And Yeah, I think a couple of things have made it better for me. And maybe there's some things that have worked for you that might be just worth mentioning. So some things that worked for me were um, telling people I trust I was going to try really hard at a thing and might fail and getting some reassurance that like that seemed like a good thing to do and also that they would understand and respect and love me even if I did fail. Um, so I, when trying out this podcast host role, um, I told my partner how terrified I was of failing at it and told him there was some chance it wasn't going to work out, uh, and that I'd find that very awkward and weird and embarrassing. Um, but I needed him to tell me it was okay. And if we learned that, uh, he'd like love me and think it was just great that I tried. And I found that just really reassuring and safe. Like in the worst case, I was going to have a partner that loved me and like, things were going to go on just fine. Yeah, I'm sure there are others. I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head. I don't know if you have any others coming to mind. Yeah, I mean, I really like that story. I think that's really <laughs> nice. Um, and I find this really hard too. And 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 maybe one thing to say is just like, it's, it's hard. <laughs> I don't think it's going to, or like, at least for some people, it is just never going to be that easy. And like, yeah, yeah maybe I want to say something like, 
if the reason you notice that like you aren't doing this thing of trying hard enough to fail is that like you don't feel like you've got a plan Z or like mm. you don't feel secure in yep. like Backups how stuff's and, going, yep. then like my guess is fix that before trying to do this really ambitious thing. Totally. Yes, um, that makes a ton of sense. I was, yeah, lucky enough with the podcast that even if the hosting thing went terribly, there was probably editing stuff I could do or help Rob research things for uh, his interviews. And that made it a bunch safer. So, yeah, that does seem really important. I guess kind of piggybacking off of the um, the ice cream thing, which I really like, uh, probably there are ways to set yourself up to get rewards for failing. Uh, and one that I've tried a little bit is like, again, told people I know I was going to try to fail and then ask them to like really praise me if I fail. <laughs> like, I think there are times when I was applying for jobs that uh, I did get friends to tell me like, congrats, you applied and got rejected. Yay. Round of applause. And in fact, that made it better. Yeah, I think um, that's certainly a cool thing to try out. And I, I remember one of our colleagues talked about something similar a long time ago on the podcast uh, when it came to like, philosophy academia positions mm. and people having like spreadsheets and competing for numbers of rejections like I think like different things work for different people <laughs> yep and yeah I, I can imagine that there are some people who will be like extremely reassured by this like my friends are gonna say that I am great anyway thing and I think other people are like honestly just gonna like really hate that <laughs> yep and uh, yeah and then maybe for those people yeah one thing I could say or like one thing I've sometimes said is something like if you have a success criterion for your application strategy, mm. then you can be like checking whether your strategy was correct. I think my my success criterion for an application strategy is like, there's like some part of it that's numbers. And then there's some part of it is like, what's the range of ambitiousness or the range of roles you're applying for? Mm, and so cool. there's something which is like, if I'm getting to like, different stages in different processes like multiple times each mm -hmm. then probably I have like a good spread yep and then maybe depends a little bit on like what your situation is I think like if you're employed in a job that seems like pretty great for you and you're like trying to do the occasional really ambitious thing mm -hmm. um this sort of advice uh, doesn't apply as much sure but in general like I think if you're like looking for work or looking to make a switch trying to have some kind of like pyramid where like mostly you're getting rejected at mm -hmm. like the first stage but like a decent chunk of the time but like less than half the time you're getting through to the next one and then like a decent chunk of the time I don't know how many stages there are depending on the sure. job but yeah something like less than half of the time you're like getting one stage further and that just requires you're gonna have to make a bunch of apps in order to get right. a job but like I think you are gonna have to make a bunch of apps to get the job speaking <laughs> in very broad terms and yep. so maybe there's this thing as like well, if I'm tracking this pyramid, then like, oh, cool. It looks like my strategy is working because because this like bottom tier is staying at the tier mm. where I'm like, where it needs to be. Yeah, maybe something like that could be could be helpful for some people. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. There's maybe one more thing. And I think this is the thing that I have found personally most helpful. Yeah, it's coming back to this like thing. I've touched in a bunch of places where like different people are good at different things. Mm -hmm. Let's say... I'm applying for something that like has this like difficult work test. We talked about the the sprint, <laughs> multiple hours doing the same thing, like writing some big document. I've just not done uh, mm. multiple hours of of writing a single document uh, in timed conditions. Like that's like not a thing I've practiced. Mm. Uh, like you know, 
in all of my life. And yeah, I think there's something about noticing that like me performing badly at that is just like not a huge signal about how good I am as a person or mm. how good I am even at like other things. In my case, that sort of thing took like someone else pointing it out to me. Mm. Um, and, you know, not just once. <laughs> um, but I think there's something about like uh, noticing what an application process is actually testing, like both noticing that there's some measurement error in it, there's some randomness, there's some luck, yep. but also noticing that like you're being tested on a thing and like probably that thing is not like the only quality uh, that you think is relevant to like a person's worth. That sounds totally right. Okay, well, there's probably loads more we could say about that one, but let's move to another. So another common mistake uh, that you hear is people feeling like they need to optimize for having the most impact they can right now. Yeah, why, why do you think that is a mistake? Yeah, why is this a mistake? Let's say like with some part of your like time or effort or whatever, you want to do like the most good. I guess the thing that I claim most people care about, like when when they are trying to do this, actually is like, you know, the most good across your life. Right. <laughs> or like across the time that you're working. Yeah, maybe if I'm just like, let's say I'm a millionaire. I like won the lottery, I won a million pounds and I want to like give that away and I'm going to give away like a uh, thousand pounds a year for the next thousand years because I've set <laughs> myself up badly. Um, like I claim the thing I should be like thinking about is like, how do I do the best with that million? Not like, how do I do the best with the first thousand, uh, right. even at the cost of like losing the million? And like, what might this look like in the money case is like, well, maybe I should like hire some researchers to help me work out what to do with the rest of the money. And yeah, I think the like key consideration that I end up highlighting to people who I think are trying to like do the best thing right now is something like, look, it might be that setting yourself up well to do more good later looks like not directly having as much of an impact right now. Because like probably learning is pretty good if you want to have an impact later. Probably getting some like uh, signaling experience for a lot of careers, maybe doing a like prestigious internship, maybe getting paid a lot of money. Mm. Like these things just often pay off later um, and often trade off against doing like the very most good with like the summer internship you're doing this year or like in the first two years of your job just after you've graduated. Yeah, yeah, that makes tons of sense. And I really like the analogy of donating money over time and not optimizing for the first thousand. I guess, yeah. I feel like I did this, uh, still do this. Uh, it just feels really, it just really resonates with me as a mistake that's easy to make. And in my case, it feels like it was a combination of, of yeah, wanting to feel good about feeling and thinking that I am having a positive impact, hopefully, on the world. Wanting to feel like I'm living by my values of doing kind of the most important thing uh, and not uh, a thing that seems like pretty good. And then also... Also, just totally something about like wanting my peers uh, to perceive me as doing good and living by my values. So wanting to work somewhere that's like legibly uh, high impact and not just somewhere that's like giving me career capital, but like doesn't seem as obviously good to them. And I think I had this particularly much because being part of the effective altruism community, there are like lots of people who like all 
share some of, I don't know, some like overlapping views on like what's allowed, what's high status. And, uh, and I just felt super hyper aware of that and wanted, um, wanted the approval, I guess, from people around me of like doing the good thing now. Yeah. It's just a lot of things pushing in that direction. How do we help people push in the other direction? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, my guess is at least some of them are going to be helped by hearing uh, sure. you <laughs> just describe that. Um, yeah, you said a bunch of stuff there, and I think I want to pick up on a few bits of it. I certainly think that part of what's going on sometimes here is this like peer approval thing. And yeah, maybe actually it's worth saying something like if you're a member of this community or like adjacent to it and you're talking to lots of other people kind of in a similar position kind of like making it clear that you won't judge your friends for taking mm. things that seem pretty like normal career capital building instead of the like, you know, weird EA internship that seems really cool because it's got like a full letter acronym right. running it. <laughs> uh, probably at least two of the letters are I because EA is not good <laughs> at naming stuff. Or maybe there's a center in there. Yeah, there's um, definitely a center in there. But like, yeah, so I think like part of, part of it can can be like pressure. Um I do think, uh, like, the main thing I do to push back on this on course is just hammering the thing, which is like, <laughs> what What are you trying to achieve? You're trying to mm. achieve, like, the most good. Not, like, the most good this year in exchange for less good later. Yeah. Um, I do think that part of the difficulty is this, like, yeah, maybe I think people are, like, really worried about, like, suspiciously, like, convenient outcomes right where like, like hey take the high status job at the quant trading firm right. where like you're going to get to play with fun math puzzles every day and earn a bunch of money and earn a bunch of money and be seen as like super duper smart by like <laughs> your normal peers who don't have any idea what this altruism stuff is mm -hmm. like that's a real draw and i think if that's a draw that you like don't endorse because you really care about like you really care about helping as many people as you can then it's easy to like not realize that there are helping as many people as you can style reasons for doing that thing anyway. Totally. I actually, I hadn't realized, but I, I like basically did something like this <laughs> following the reasons that I didn't really endorse uh -huh. uh, when I finished my degree. So I, huh. I knew I wanted to go into teaching and one of the options was to do a program called Teach First, which is similar to Teach for America you get like a couple of weeks training and then get thrown into a school which has a bunch of like difficult aspects to working there um, is usually in an area where like lots of the kids have a, a bunch of uh, stuff going on at home. Often lots of the parents need a bunch of support themselves, which is difficult to provide as a teacher, especially a new teacher. Right. And like if you survive for a couple of years, approximately you get a teaching qualification. And like I could also have gone into teaching via a normal route and I essentially picked teach first hmm. to like show i think in particular one of my parents that i like wasn't taking a cop-out option wow, um, right. by picking teaching and instead yeah. was like no look i'm i'm doing the really hard thing i think what's interesting is i think teach first does actually have like much better career capital value than going into teaching via a more traditional route i don't actually think i ended up using it um, wow, right. but like i can imagine if I were facing the decision now, it being sensible to pick the option I did end up picking. Right. Not because I like wanted to show people that right. I was capable of doing the hard thing, but just for a much more mundane, like, yeah, like a bunch of top consultancies recruit Teach Festers once they finish mm. their 
they're like two years of training you can you can move into um, like management direction like pretty quickly if you want to go down that path yeah Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that feels really familiar to me. This like, um, well, I have a selfish or an unendorsed reason to consider a certain career path. So I should rule that career path out and ignore the selfless and sensible reasons to consider that career path. I think that's a really good, uh, that's a really good summary of like, I think maybe the most common mental move that mm. happens here. Maybe not explicitly, but I think there's often something like that going on. I also noticed that like, I think this is often pretty strongly tied to the first thing we were talking about. You know, there's something about like having something with an external stamp on it, something that other people will approve of. And then there's something like might end up turning out better in the long run, but looks more like career exploration, looks more like building skills, looks more like forging your own path and thinking for yourself. And like, it's just really hard to choose that option, especially if that option would actually like be better personally for you because if you choose it you're like going to be worried that you're choosing it for like the wrong the wrong reasons. reasons yeah yeah that that makes tons of sense i wonder if it might be worth mentioning like at least one sort of specific example of of a mistake that i see like in this particular direction yeah so maybe one that i've seen like a bunch of times is someone who's at university is like pretty well set up for a like technical research career afterwards on one of the world's most pressing problems. So let, like having said, hey, not everyone has to work in AI safety. Let's, let's use an AI example because I think actually most of the people I'm thinking of do meet this description. Hmm. Yeah, let's say someone is like doing extremely well at a CS or math or combined degree, like really enjoying it. Maybe they've like published a couple of papers in undergrad, got some cool research experience. And like there is a sort of EA group at their college, which is like kind of a bit of a nightmare to organize. And I've spoken to to people in this situation where they're like, but like right now I'm just like solving problems in my classes. Mm. And yeah, I did this research assistantship this summer that got a paper out, but it was wasn't on anything like important or relevant to safety. It was just on this like robotics thing because that's what my professor was excited about. Right. I want to be able to continue the research, but I like don't have time to do all of these things because like so much of my energy is taking up with running this club. And I think in this case, I'm just like, look, <laughs> if you don't like it, it, like if it's not fun, why, why, why are you still doing this? <laughs> like if you can find someone else that can run it, great. I, I think like I'm really, really excited about some of the like uh, student groups that have been set up by people who are really keen to do this. I think there's been like massive impacts for some of them, getting lots of people involved, getting lots of people excited, helping people like just meet other people like them who want to talk about these ideas. Yeah. My guess is that is not primarily coming from people who feel like a strong obligation to do this thing that they really dislike. And like, yeah. maybe just like go and get really good at AI. If that's the thing you're pointing at, like talking, you know, running an intro fellowship for the like five people that you managed to get to sign up is just like not setting you up well for that probably like way less important for the world than you actually trying a bit harder on your own learning and then being slightly more likely to make an important breakthrough later like there's no reason to do this other than like needing to do something right now and worrying about like picking stuff that is too like seems too convenient because you'd actually enjoy it and find it fun yeah yeah okay so what does it look like to do this thing well or to not make this mistake yeah thanks i think this is a 
this is, in some cases, this is like pretty easy. Uh, like the shortest version of this is something like just followed like normal career heuristics mm. <laughs> or like at least strongly consider just doing what the selfish version of you would do. And the earlier on you are in your career, the like more strongly mm. you should consider this. So yeah, maybe taking the framing from the one blog post I did manage to write, like when you're thinking about what to optimize for in your like first couple of choices, I think like optimize for learning, so, like developing skills, developing an understanding of yourself and which things you enjoy, which things you like might be good at. Uh, like this, these are two different kinds of learning. I think like both of them seem really important. Yeah. So one, one could be like, cool. I think like lots of the things I might want to eventually end up doing will involve being able to write code really well. Maybe I should, you know, take this prestigious software engineering internship this summer because like, turns out most people at Google are like pretty good at writing code. And so if I go mm. and hang out with a bunch of them, I'll get pretty good at writing code. Yep. But yeah, that's that's one kind of like pretty like normal career heuristic of just like, cool, this skill seems like an important skill that's useful for a bunch of things. Can I like pick the thing that lets me get really good at it? Um, another thing which I like, I don't know, some people will choose to dismiss because I used to be a teacher, but I just actually stand behind is like, consider trying to do really well in school. <laughs> like yep. there is, there's actually value in like getting really good grades if you can. Um, mm. it, like it opens doors for you later. It opens doors for you at the time if your professors like notice that you're the person that's coming top in different classes. It's not to say everyone should just be focusing on school all of the time, but like that's a normal heuristic that like often is correlated with success later. And like if you can like get a 4.0 average and you're in the States, like seems worth doing. Mm-hmm. Then maybe, yeah, maybe a different aspect of this that's still kind of learning related is, yeah, is is like learning about yourself. So I think mm-hmm. like one one possible way you could like make a mistake in terms of this, cool, I should index on personal fit like harder than I previously thought thing is to say, cool, well, I, I know I'm good at this one thing. So I guess like all of my uh, <laughs> internships and all of my like experiences and my first three jobs should all be in this one thing. And I don't think that seems like a good idea. Like Hmm. one thing that can be really valuable to gain information about early on is like how many different things you do enjoy. It's like, yeah, trying a variety of different things, even when you have a pretty good idea of which things seem best, Hmm. is the sort of thing that very much looks like uh, helping you over the long run. And and it it might not even help. This is is like maximizing expected long run impact. Like it may just be that you try out three things and you're like, yeah, I was right about the first thing. I should just push on that. I claim that's still useful because there are some alternate worlds where you didn't find out that the first thing was best. And that's a really good piece of information to found early. Then maybe the last thing, so all of these are something like learning. So maybe, maybe they're like maximize normal career heuristics is like even not the shortest. The shortest is like learn lots of stuff, Uh but I think paying attention to mentorship and particularly mentorship from outside this community of people who are like really concerned about doing a lot of good, uh, I think seems really important. This might look like doing a research project if you're a current student, whether that's an undergrad or a postgrad, which is like, you know, if you've got a chance to work with a world expert on a cool kind of research, and that research isn't like actively doing harm to the world, then probably just like learning from that researcher about how to do research really well should be like very strongly considered as a good option, even if it's not like precisely pointing at the thing that you like want to do research on later. Similarly, in jobs, like, do you know who's going to be managing you? Does that manager seem like someone who is going to, like, help you develop? I uh, was preparing for a meeting 
actually this morning and wrote the sentence. I can't like exactly remember what I said, but I said something like, I think I have learned more from Michelle, uh, who is my current manager than like anyone else in my professional career. Wow. And like, that's a huge deal. If you can it find is. a manager who is like, really good at management or even just like a really good fit for managing you mm. i find it totally plausible that that is worth taking a job that on like several other aspects looks quite a bit worse mm -hmm. um especially if you're early on and it's one of your first few jobs right yeah cool i think there's a lot of stuff there that's kind of counterintuitive uh, and that people will get a lot from hearing i guess a thing that is still like when I imagine myself hearing this advice and trying to apply it, especially if I imagine myself trying to apply it three to five years ago, I think it still just feels like really costly to me to, one, have to sacrifice the feeling of like I'm living by my values and I feel very proud uh, of that. And like, yeah, it's, it's a thing I care about a lot. I mean, I, I just wish it weren't the case, but it is the fact that I care loads that my peers also think I'm living by my values. Is there more from just like a sociological perspective um, that people can do? I really like this suggestion of talking to your friends about how accepting you to be of them doing a PhD because that is what they thought uh, was the best way to like build a skill and set themselves up to do a high impact career later. Um, is there anything else? Like I'm trying to think of what would have helped me. And maybe it's like practice a story that like you think explains to yourself and to others uh, why you're doing what you're doing in a way that makes you feel like you can kind of explicitly show how you're living by your values, even if it's not like some obviously pre-approved thing you're doing now. Yeah, I am. Um... I think this is a really good thing to push on. Uh, yeah, maybe the, the first thing that seems important is like, if I would if I were speaking to like Louisa three years ago yep. on an advising call and she was saying stuff like, hey, I, I like I really want to live with my values. Uh, the main thing I'd push on is like, wait, no, your, your values are about doing the, the best thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not not the best thing right now. Like that's actually right. the thing you care about. So like, I might want to push in the direction of like, look, if I can convince you that this like does actually seem best in expectation across your like long run career, then like that is the thing that's in accordance yeah. with your values. And yeah, I don't know whether I would make this next move with everyone, but I find it plausible. I might even say something like, wait, like you care about acceptance from people mm. in this like immediate social circle of do-gooders, not from the world at large. Like it's actually pretty unclear to me that you're taking the easy route out by doing the like normie prestigious internship rather mm. than the like weird self-sacrificing thing that pays you much less. Like plausibly among the people whose like opinions you care about, this is the like hard option. This is the option where you have to explain your choice and you yeah. feel like it's not something that has the sort of EA approved stamp on it. Yeah. And I'm like, you want to look at live up to your values? You want to do the brave thing? Like that's, that's the hard. brave thing. Do yeah. that. <laughs> like sure, yeah. the normal world won't judge you for it, but like maybe the normal world isn't the world you're paying attention to. Yeah, I do feel like it seems like it could have really helped for me to try to notice that me wanting my peers to think I was doing something high impact right off the bat was not uh, me trying to do the most good. And that me actually trying to live my, by my values would have been me trying to care less about that and focus on the thing I really deep down believed was, um, yeah, for the best. Yeah. And maybe there's some kind of like, I think I just should have like thought about that really explicitly, uh, reminded myself of it regularly, told some people I cared about 
uh, and told them that it was important to me that they like understood and at least agreed. It seemed like a plausible thing to um, a plausible way for me to do the most good with my career. And maybe that's just like a brave, hard thing that people should should try to do a bit more of. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that feels like it resonates a bit. I think there's another there's another thing that might be worth trying here. Some of this is actually just like a useful career planning heuristic in general, which is like, you should actually have a plausible story for how the thing you're doing like might help. Right. Um, and that plausible story should contain some kind of concrete success criteria. So this is a like jargony thing that I've imported from teaching, but like uh, the way I, I tend to like phrase it or like the useful a useful way of, of generating is something like, I'll know I'm doing this well because, and then like uh-huh. something you can actually measure. And so, yeah, I think like just do the totally normy thing is like really the thing I'm actually going to endorse. Mm. Uh, like what's going on here is, is first we're saying, hey, maybe living by your values doesn't look like doing the thing that seems like to produce the most like utils in the next three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing we're saying is like, cool, now you have this like wider option space, like look at the option space carefully and see which things seem best to do. But like, you want to have some reason that they seem best to do. And I think uh, this might be a case where if someone is really suffering from this kind of like moral perfectionist Mm. flavored uh, intuition where they want to roll out huge classes of things because they'd be convenient for them, probably you do want to tag in another person. Maybe it's an advisor, maybe it's just a, a friend who knows you pretty well, but like get someone to help you go like, well, which of these things should I like? I want to rule these out for personal reasons. Which of them should I rule back in for like non-personal reasons? Mm. Okay, so another version of this, or at least a thing that like sounds related, is people think something like, "I have to have an impact in the AI space now because uh, we might get transformative AI in the next few decades." Um, so you know, there's there's no time to wait until I've tested out various options or until I've scaled up more. Uh, I need to I need to try to help now. Is that a thing you or like to what extent is that a thing you see? Uh, is that a good description of it? Are there other variations of it? Yeah, um, I think that I mean, if it's like in the next few decades, which I think is like a reasonable view on timelines, then maybe I'm just like, yeah, sounds like you should still be doing the career capital thing. Hmm. Like a few decades sounds like the length of a career. Yeah. Um, There is, however, a claim that's more like, yeah, AI is coming in the next few years. And like any work after that point is going to be totally useless. Uh, So I like have a few years to make an impact. And like, that last thing like does follow from the first two. Hmm. <laughs> like if you know AI is coming in a few years and that all work afterwards is going to be totally useless, then like you shouldn't be planning a like 15 year career where you spend the first, like most of the first 10 years trying to set yourself up well. I think there's like a bunch of subtlety here. And I maybe want to say something like, it's a bit more complicated than that. It's like hmm. maybe my whole take, <laughs> we should talk about some of the ways it's more complicated, but um but yeah, like this is this is a reason to focus on doing more sooner rather than later. And the more strongly you believe the like uh, very extreme versions of claims about timelines, the more strongly you should wait towards doing stuff now rather than later. Yeah, yeah. What is one of the ways it gets more complicated? Let's say someone might say, I have like 10 year timelines. 
usually I expect this like 10 year timelines to be standing in for the median. So that's like, they think it's 50, 50 that right. AI will have come in the next 10 years. And maybe what that looks like is 15% in the next like three years. And then like 35%, let's make these, oh wait, yeah, 35% in the like seven after that, let's make these add up. Uh, and then something like maybe another 25% in the seven after that. And then maybe the last 25% is concentrated over like the next hundred, which is just like slowly decaying. Sure. And so, yeah, maybe you can imagine sort of like a bar chart type thing. And yeah, I have a bunch of thoughts about this, but I guess the the main thing here is like, it seems absurdly overconfident to the point that I don't think anyone has actually made claims like this, or at least I don't think anyone um, sensible enough to be even thinking, how should my career be affected by timelines mm-hmm. has made claims that are like, it's definitely coming in this year at this exact time. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think as soon as you switch to thinking about like, well, there's some chance in this year, there's some chance in that year, and there's some chance in like a bunch of years afterwards, then I think something that's easy to miss, but really important for someone like me to point out is that like which year you expect to have the most impact in isn't the same question as which year you think it's most likely AI arrives. Mm-hmm. Um, like partly this is just like, you're going to get better at stuff later. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, maybe you think there's, you know, some, if, if we like really covered up brutally, let's say, okay, like 50% chance in the next 10 years and then like 50% chance in the next 20 years after that. And I'm pulling these numbers out of thin air. I'm not, I'm not saying this is like a prediction I endorse. Um, but if you think you're going to be like way more effective if you spend 10 years, like, I don't know, doing a PhD at a top lab, then it might just be worth like not having much impact in like the 50% of worlds where it comes in the next 10 years. Right. If you can like pay for that impact with like increased usefulness in the in the later worlds. So that's right. like one one way that um things could be a bit more a bit more complicated than wow, five years, I've gotta gotta do stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Can I just make sure I understand? Sure. So it's something like uh if I'm if I'm kind of early career or if I'm just like not yet well positioned to help work on AI in some way, but I think I could be in like 10 years. I should just accept the fact that in expectation, I will do more good by training up to be super useful in the worlds where AGI doesn't come for another 15 years, because realistically, I'm just not going to be very helpful in the worlds where AGI comes in three. Um, And so rather than have like a tiny impact in the world where it comes in three, maybe even a negative one, because it might be really easy to do um, harm. I should just kind of like rule out the worlds in which I contribute to AI in the short term and instead plan for the worlds where I might be able to help with AI in the medium term or the long term. Yeah, I think that sounds right as this like extreme case. I think like Mm. There'll be a bunch of different considerations here, and they're all sort of like small adjustments on the margin. But right. yeah, that that is like a extremized version of one of these, where like yeah, if if it takes like five years to get good enough to be useful, then like doesn't matter <laughs> that uh, there's like some decent probability on it, like on Asia coming in less than five years. Like you're not going to help in those worlds anyway. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think like that that is like one consideration that seems important here. Another version of this actually, which I think is is interesting because it doesn't actually relate to career capital mm-hmm. in the normal way. It's something like um like it might turn out to be the case that like uh a seven year research project is like required uh to, right. to, to like solve alignment. Um like if that's the case, 
we've just like already lost right. in all of the worlds where AGI comes in the next seven years, even if we start today. Mm. Like that doesn't mean we like shouldn't do the research project. Even if we find out with like a 90% probability that right. it's coming in the next seven years, we should just be like, well, <laughs> what can you do? We've lost, right. we should still be doing the seven year project because that's our only hope. And right. like, I don't think there are things that are like that, but I think most people's careers have like something of that flavor mm-hmm. where like you're going to learn stuff and you're going to gain experience and you're going to gain skills and like that shifts how impactful your work is to like later timelines compared to just the naive thing of like, when does it seem most likely? Yeah, it actually made a huge difference for me to have someone basically explain this thing where I was like, I was feeling really guilty about maybe there's some tiny chance I can help with, uh, I don't know, maybe AI governance in some way. Um, And maybe it's a huge mistake for me not to be doing that given that I think it's plausible that AGI comes in the next five to 10 years. And then someone was like, you're, ju- you're just not going to help in that world. Uh, like maybe, maybe the 10 year world or something, but like the extreme version, like it's just not, it's not going to be me. It's going to be like mid-career people who have already thought about these issues a ton. And it's like, it's great that we have them. It'd be nice if I was one. Um, but if I'm not, that's just, uh, I shouldn't, then go try to do something that is unhelpful and well yeah just a waste of waste of my time and possibly bad just because i feel like guilty for not being involved are are there any considerations pushing in the other direction um yeah i think there's a few so one thing that seems worth saying which is like it's not exactly about like betting on shorter timelines, but I think it's something that is often relevant to a decision like, uh, should I do a PhD because of like timelines? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are plenty of other good reasons to like not do a PhD. And I think like sure. one case where it does seem worth like just trying to do the best thing straight away, whether because of timelines or otherwise, is because because that thing would actually set you up best for the long mm. run as well. Like, um, we've talked a lot about like, well, what if the best way to set yourself up for the long run is something that involves like gaining skills or gaining capital or gaining mentorship or whatever. But like one really good way of setting yourself up for doing a thing is just like doing the thing. Totally, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And like, look, if you could get a job working on something that seems like one of the most important things right now, like you probably should do that. Mm. Like if if you're sacrificing a bunch of like career development potential or skill development, whatever, or if you're like picking something that seems like it has impact right now, but isn't the thing you're like most excited about in the long run, there are, there are reasons to to not, but like, Look, if the thing you think is most important for you to do is like research engineering at a at a like organization that's contributing to alignment and you have a like internship offer or a job offer as a research engineer somewhere with an alignment team that you rate, you should like just do that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like because that just also helps you in the worlds where you do gain a bunch of experience in that role and you know, like develop a bunch of skills and it's not in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. What does it look like when people are making this mistake? So it's like they they think they should work on AI now. They can't get those internships. What do they end up doing instead? Um, yeah, I, th- I think basically like something that doesn't actually seem very useful and is like potentially quite severely harming their ability to learn and develop or be employed later but that like has some chance of being helpful. So I, I think like, hmm. um, I think there are like some independent research projects right. that can take okay. this form where like, look, for some people, I think independent research is 
um, the best choice. I think it's like extremely cool as a community that we have the ability to fund researchers sure. to work on things themselves. Um, and in fact, more than one of my advisees has like gone down this path and I've been really excited about mm. it as, as the best option. Right. But actually most of the people who I've been excited about doing this as an option have been like pretty senior and the independent research is mostly a like, I've already been doing a bunch of research in another field and right. I like want to switch over rather than like, I've just graduated and I'm going to like teach myself to do all of the things. Right. Um, even in that case, I can see it being good for some people, but like you take a big hit, both in yeah. terms of like, often sitting on your own with like right. very little feedback and mentorship it's just like pretty hard yeah it's bad uh, for your well-being also just in terms of like it's not very legible if you then want to go and get a job later including right. potentially a job at like some major lab right and then especially if you're like turning down something that looks very good on some of the other aspects like turning down a top engineering internship uh that kind of thing i'm like Hmm, yeah, maybe or turning just, down like, a PhD program that's like an excellent fit with a great advisor who uh, you think can teach you a lot. Yeah, I think that's that sounds like a a good example. Though I though I will say like, just so many people should turn down PhDs for reasons sure. that are totally unrelated. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And then the even more extreme version is like choosing to do something that like you totally don't actually expect to be your best option if you have this extra time because right. it's something that helps right now. And I think the example I see most frequently is people who like clearly should at least be like seeing whether they can make it as researchers doing uh, like community building or right. like organizational work while right. really not enjoying that. Like, okay. To be clear, I think like uh, it's possible to make the other mistake. If, you, if you're like a great like project manager, you're just like always on top of 500 things and you like never drop any balls, however many you're juggling. And you're like, oh, but like, should I like spend six months like really thinking about the like core of the problem? I'm like, no, just like do the organizing. Yeah, <laughs> um, right, right. But yeah, I think I think a case where someone is like considering doing something that is like very clearly not their skill set because they expect it to have impact slightly sooner is, is one of the like biggest uh, red flags here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so someone who like conceivably could contribute to research at an AI lab doing something like uh, being an executive assistant for uh, someone at an AI lab now because maybe AGI comes in the next few years, um, especially when they like uh, happen to hate executive assistant work or at least like don't don't like it and like could thrive and really enjoy the like whatever engineering work they might actually have wanted to do to contribute on IA risk. Um, is that, yeah, kind of in that boat? Yeah, I think that seems like, I think probably that is like so clear cut that I don't expect people to make, to that, make the mistake. quite that mistake. I feel like people do make that mistake. Yeah, maybe. Um, but certainly I want to say something like, if you're listening and going, oh, well, my case isn't that bad. Right. Uh, I don't think you're totally off Okay, the okay, okay, okay. Um, so it can be more, even less clear cut than that, and you'd still be yeah. Um, nervous. Yeah. I do think one thing that seems worth noting here is like, I think timelines have to be really, really, really short mm. for the argument about like, oh, wow, I have to like switch uh, mm -hmm. to something that's like higher impact per unit time to go through. And I think to try and illustrate this, um, so yeah, there's there's a few factors that like shift how impactful your work is going to be over time. There's the neglect of this thing we mentioned, which shifts towards work being better sooner. There's the like you getting experience and skills thing, which shifts towards work being more useful later on. Uh, and there's also the like, the more we know about what the shape of AGI is going to be, the more useful work is going to be, at least according to like some models of uh, how alignment work proceeds, which are like 
controversial as most stuff in the alignment space is, but for what it's worth, I buy these models. I, I think that like most of the useful alignment work is going to be done like very, very close to AGI. Um, if you believe me or agree with me and the other people who hold that position on that, I think you should be prepared to like consider options which look like even if something is 10 years away, spending like seven or eight of those years mm. setting yourself up and then mm. like two or three years actually working on the thing. Mm. I think like a PhD is like a kind of classic example here. If if you think that like research scientist positions at like major labs that are actually going to care about the signaling that a PhD provides are like the place where you are going to be able to have the highest impact. Yep. It does seem like pretty plausible to me that you should spend seven years doing a PhD even if like to first order, none of the stuff in your PhD is like directly contributing mm. to solving the problem. Like to be clear, if you're trying to set yourself up for a specific path, there's a bunch of PhD research that like does not seem like the best thing for you to be doing. Sure. And like, and, it, and my guess is it's just not going to be that clear cut because most of the best uh, programs, especially given sort of how people have reacted to recent news, will let you work on relevant right, stuff. Right. during. But yeah, I do. I do think it seems worth considering you know, spending like four fifths of your career setting yourself up for the last two fifths. Mm. And then I think like, as soon as you have some uncertainty about like how long you have, I claim this pushes in the direction of like, well, uh, if I turn out, I have more time already set up very well, I can like pivot to trying other things. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That makes lots of sense. Yeah. I think there is something else, which is that, and this is actually in a, in a response I wrote to Ben Todd on this post that we'll link to. I think the neglectedness um, the neglectedness point is like less clearly in favor of skewing short uh, for an individual thinking about their career compared to something like an organization making grants or an organization like ours raising awareness. Because if you are relatively senior, like if you have bet on the like, I'm going to gain a bunch of experience, um, particularly like research, taste development or like management experience, then like if you've been in the field for a while and now there's an influx of new people coming in, potentially you can like have a pretty big multiplier on your own skills mm. by like this now much less neglected field, having a bunch of people who you can help steer to do useful work. I think this is like actually a pretty strong consideration in favor of some kinds of career capital building that like do take longer is yeah, if if you think you could be an unusually good manager or mentor or research lead then the fact that we expect on average this field to become like less neglected over time yeah. may well suggest that like getting in now and setting yourself up well to like steer that increased effort once it becomes right. available could be like pretty I exciting. Leverage. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another thing you think people get wrong is deciding not to apply for a role or or to take a role uh, because they think they might be replaceable in some way. Can you say more about what this looks like? Yeah. So I think, yeah, replaceability feels like a big can of worms. Yeah. Um, and I actually think one of the best discussions about it that already exists is also a podcast. It's um, uh, our colleagues, Ben and Arden, talking about this on cool. some episode that we'll link because I can't remember the title. Yeah. But yeah, the, the like very high level idea of replaceability is one that 80,000 Hours wrote about far before I think either of us joined. And I think makes a lot of sense in the original context. So this is something like maybe if you're like thinking about whether or not to become a doctor like well there's lots of applications for medical school and there's only a fixed number of places and so like choosing not to uh, go doesn't mean there's like one fewer doctors in the world it means like someone who was like slightly less good at 
medical school entrance exams, then you becomes a doctor instead of you. And probably like, yeah, maybe this does make some difference, but it like probably doesn't make as much of a difference as like one whole additional doctor. Right. I think people like hear this idea, like this is, this is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is like some truth to it. And it's like very like sticky is the word I want to use. Mm-hmm. Like it's this thing where it's like, oh, wow, have you considered that? Right. Um, it feels kind of mind blowing. Like, yeah. oh, like if I don't, if I don't apply for that, someone else will. And then my impact in that role would have been approximately nothing because I will, the only impact I could have taken credit for is like the tiny marginal improvement I would have brought to the role. Yeah. And then I think like, okay, so why do I think this is like uh, a mistake to be tracking, especially for the people that I expect to be forming the majority of the audience for this? So people who are like really, really uh, interested in doing like the very best thing, uh, listening to lots of our advice, maybe making some of the mistakes we've talked about in terms of like, I have to do an EA approved job. So I guess one thing is that like, depending on what you believe the like distribution of talent looks like, it might not even be the case that like the difference between the person who gets hired and the person who doesn't get hired is like really small. There are some fields where like the very best people are just like miles better than the next best, which means that there are like some, yeah, some ways of arranging people, some like uh, distributions of talent where the more people applying, the bigger the expected difference is between the like first and second candidate, (laughs) which is super counterintuitive. Uh, Our colleague Rob put some like, I think Excel or Google Sheets models together about this that we can link to. Um, I guess maybe more convincing than Rob's playing with spreadsheets is just like, I've spoken to a bunch of hiring managers. I've actually been a hiring manager (laughs) on a few rounds and like, it is just the case that uh, some jobs require like a ton of skill, in particular, like a ton of different skills where they all kind of combine. And especially mm. if they start combining multiplicatively, it can just be the case that like a perfect fit is miles better than a good fit. So like that's one aspect where like maybe this whole replaceability thing just isn't even that true. Mm, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And maybe is especially untrue if the like stage at which the selection is happening is like, a pretty intense application process immediately before doing the job, Mm. which looks pretty different to like, you know, taking some general mental ability and memorization exams at age 18 to determine whether you go into medical school. I realize that most, most like non-British countries don't have undergraduate medicine. So it's like 21, but you know what I mean? I then think probably the like uh, more important uh, consideration though, if you're thinking about jobs which like do have this like adk approved stamp on them or Mm -hmm. this ea approved stamp on them is like who are the other candidates Mm. that are like pretty close to the top along with you who who are the people that like you are replacing in the role if you take it well they're people who like uh were really interested in having an impact by working for the kind of organization that you're really excited about like working for and they were like pretty good at it like (laughs) you've freed them up to go and do something else. Uh, There's this really weird thing where like, if what you care about is like good being done rather than you doing it, like someone else not working at the job that you ended up getting and therefore choosing to do something else, like probably that something else is going to be like pretty great for the world. Now, obviously the job that they get, like they're replacing something else. And so then what did that person do? And then, you know, there's a bunch of effects that all like kind of knock into each other and it seems really hard and complicated. And so like, how do I cut through this? My my like best guess is that if you're applying for a job where like really caring about doing good is like one of the things that is like a part of that job, mm. or like maybe even not really caring about doing good in the abstract, but like really caring about like a specific problem. 
So I think like, you know, for alignment research, if you like care about like AI being aligned, that's like plausibly enough. You don't have mm. to be this like impartial welfareist who's like bought into long-termism. Uh, it's mostly just like, do I think this thing should like uh, do what, like try to do what we want? Yes. Yeah, so, like once, once you condition on that, my best guess at the like strategy you should use for deciding whether or not to apply is like, I should apply to the things that I think I would do the most good in. Yep. And then like, I should pick the one that seems like I would do the most good in it. And like, how do I justify this? It's something like, if I zoom out and look at the whole community, the problem stops being like, how do we calculate 500 different counterfactuals and Mm. assign credit? It's Mm -hmm. like, what's the most efficient way of allocating talent between problems? Yes, right. (laughs) And I'm like, probably the most efficient way is all of the talent tries to work out what they would be best at. Yep that's also really good for the world and then tries to do that. And then the people who seem best at the thing and uh, like that thing seems best for the world, they like do that. And then, you know, we get something where like the most exciting jobs get filled up by the people who are the best fit for them. And then it like trickles down and we just get like a bunch of good people doing good work and like seems way, way harder to do some like weird central planning thing where people agree (laughs) not to apply for some things because someone else might be better at it. And then like, yeah, on the organizational side as well, it seems important to to do some amount of like, hey, (laughs) if you're working a really impactful job already, it seems fine for me to say, hey, I think there's another really important, impactful job you could Mm. do. And part of this is like this whole like talent allocation thing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, a part of my intuition from here actually comes from our colleague, Michelle, who was Mm. doing a really, really impactful job. She was like running uh, the Global Priorities Institute before someone suggested she might want to try out advising. And I think like, if you think about like the status of ADK advising and the status of the Global Priorities Institute at that time, I can imagine someone who was living in this like, oh yeah, we've got to worry about replaceability and we've got to worry about like not poaching like the best people from other good things because like that seems bad. We should like keep people in good thing, you know. As soon as you start galaxy braining this, I think probably like no one suggests to Michelle that she might be like mm. really good as an advisor and really enjoy it. And I think that would be bad for the world. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's worked out well. It certainly works out well for me, uh, <laughs> given this is the same Michelle who I said has been the best manager I'd ever had earlier. Yep. It feels super compelling to me that if you have a bunch of individuals who like don't really know what the talent pools are like and don't really, maybe they're like not that calibrated about what they're, what they're excellent at, um, in many cases, I can imagine uh, as an imposter syndrome person, people getting it wrong in the direction of just thinking that they're going to be worse than other people who could be doing the job. Yeah, you have all of these people in the talent pool with like meh information, like they know a bit about themselves. Uh, they know a bit about the roles out there. But for them to be trying to make decisions about how replaceable they will be and what the net effects on the community are is just a kind of bizarre thing that doesn't really make sense. And the thing that makes more sense is just for actual hiring managers to have as much information as they can about the pool, which means they should probably apply widely. And then hiring managers know entirely about the pool and they can they're like in a much better position to be like, who is the best person for this job? I will make them an offer. If this is like the best job for them, they'll take it. And if it's not, like I'll take the second best person for the job and the best person who might be really good for something else can go do that. And that's just like a much more efficient way to solve this problem or at least uh, get closer to a solution. Yeah, I think that I think that gloss sounds right. Yeah, so at the individual level, basically what this looks like is like, 
if you are applying for jobs where like you expect most of the other candidates or like most of the other top candidates to like care about some similar set of things as you do, then probably don't worry about who you're replacing or who might replace you and just yeah. uh, make some applications. And then on the hiring manager side, I think it looks kind of similar as like, if you think this is a really important role to fill, probably like try to pick the best person for the role and let them choose whether that seems better than whatever else they would do. Yep. Um, I think the one the one place where I where I think you can do something more of a thinking about uh, kind of factors of replaceability is like, if you're in a position where you're like holding multiple offers for roles and they seem like pretty similar in terms of like fit for you, mm-hmm. or at least like both of them seem plausibly like a great fit for you. I do think it can be reasonable to at that stage, like talk to the hiring managers about what the rest of the candidate pool looks right. like. Uh, and I would endorse certainly within within a community of people where like everyone's kind of pointing at the same broad set of goals. Yeah, I think it does seem reasonable even to say things like, yeah, like I've, I've got an offer from uh, from you and also from this other organization. Um, I think that like these roles seem like a similarly good fit for me. I think these roles seem like a similarly good fit for the world. Probably there's some extent to which you'd be like, you know, pretty happy about that other role being filled by like someone good. Um, right. Could you give me a sense of like how easy, you you know, either how close I was to like the rest of the talent pool or how easy you would expect it to be to fill this role if I like didn't take it? Yeah. And, you know, this relies on like, both organizations being like equally transparent for it right. to work. Um, but I like think that might be the case. And I think like, yeah, at that level, it can make sense. And it might just be the case that one of the orgs is like, yeah, actually, like, you know, we we think you're the best, but there are like three people who seem like pretty damn good uh, and are like not that far behind you. And yeah. our hiring process is kind of noisy. And the other one is like, we've been hiring for nine months and yeah. you're the first person that's passed the bar and you're miles above it. And in that right. case, I'm like, yeah, go with the second dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it, if they do seem totally equal, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. I think we can leave that one there um, and and talk about another mistake. So, uh, yeah, another one that I'm super familiar with is basically um, being on a reasonably high impact path or um, in a high impact role, but still constantly considering other career options that might be even more impactful in a way that's either kind of distracting or leads to kind of too much switching um, and never getting great at uh, one set of skills. So I feel like for years I was doing this. I think I'd been working for like six or seven years and I'd never had a job for more than like 12 months. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Alex just raised his eyebrows. And that was basically a ton of just like I'd be in a role that like I thought was, yeah, like reasonably uh, worth doing, seemed kind of valuable. and then kind of what was happening is like some low self-esteemy thing creeped in where I was like, what I'm doing probably isn't that impactful because Mm -hmm. it's me and I surely couldn't be doing anything that impactful. If ever another opportunity uh, was available and like seemed like it might be high impact, it like made the the difference between my role and that role seem like artificially big to me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, ooh, a chance to actually have a big impact instead of do this bad thing I'm currently doing, which is not impactful because I'm bad. It wasn't quite that extreme, but I think that was a thing pushing in that direction. I think there are probably other things going on too, like, I don't know, I think there's a thing that can happen where you're like, feels interesting and exciting and enticing to like, 
potentially get to do an even more impactful thing. And so whenever something's presented, you're just like, ooh, new thing, like potential for a new, new bigger impact. Mm -hmm. And for years, it just meant I ended up being in a role for a bit. Someone suggested I apply for another one. Uh, in some cases, I got those roles. And then I'd switch because of like a bunch of these biases and then spent very little time getting actually very, very good at one thing, you know, because I've done it for years or something. I guess to start, I'd be I'd be most interested in like why you think this is so costly. Yeah, I think there's a difficult balance to strike here. It's like not the case that people should just like pick one thing and then go, great, this is my thing. Of course. Um, and I think people make this mistake a lot too, um, especially in like, yeah, especially if there's some like profession I want to put air quotes around that you're mm -hmm. in. So I think like being a teacher, being a lawyer, being a doctor feels like one of these things where like, oh, this is this is the path I'm on. Mm. Now all of my options are like things within this path. So yeah, it, it, like it is hard to strike a balance because I think, uh, you know, people realize this and then they go like, I want to do the best thing. And then right. they're always looking for something else. Um, why does this go wrong? There are like a couple of different ways. So, like one way, um, and I think this is from the sound of it, a way that has happened to you before is like you keep switching and like you just, you like don't get that much practice. Like skills are transferable, but like not all of the skills um, or even just like, you know, you don't, you don't like settle into your groove. You, right, you yeah. feel, feel kind of like, oh, well, always new. How, how much should I even be like investing into this place if but probably I'm going to have to switch in a year when I find something better? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's like one way this can go wrong. And I think like emotionally, this can, this can be pretty hard. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Part of it was like an ooh, shiny, new, new potential for impact. But part of it was like very moral obligation y. Mm -hmm. It was like um, a, th a thing was on the, uh, a potential role was on the table. Uh, it seemed like it might be really important. Maybe someone was trying to convince me it was super, super, super important. And then I'd feel like best practice in like the rest of the world is like not to leave a job after like nine months, but like we're not in the rest of the world. I'm trying to have mm -hmm. the biggest impact possible. So I shouldn't be like bound to these norms. I should like really seriously consider this job if it actually mm -hmm. seems more valuable. And then I'd just get like really shamey if I if I didn't consider it seriously. I'd be like, I'm not biting the bullet and trying to do the most good. I'm like just trying to, I don't know, live my life comfortably. Um, yeah. That was like a pattern for years and did basically mean that like every nine to 12 months I was getting really, really sad and feeling really bad about about myself. And like maybe I wasn't trying to do the most good. Yeah, I, I like that sucks, and I think it is something that, um, yeah, I just like speak to a lot of people who have this kind of dynamic. Mm. I, I think one thing that's important to highlight here, and and I do want to talk about like a framing I like that I think protects against both failures. But like, I think in that position, failing to move like also isn't going to go well for you. Yeah. Um, like if like people are successfully like making you feel guilty about not considering other options, like. Right. Yeah, one one mistake uh, or like one one like difficult outcome of this is like, OK, you, you like switch to do the thing that seems better and then you switch to do the thing that seems better and you like never get that good at any of the things because you switch to something else. Another thing, and I, and I see this actually like quite a lot, too, is people are just like they're doing something that seems to me like objectively great. Mm. Um, and they're just like feeling terrible about it <laughs> and like not putting that much time or energy into it because they're like 
doing a bunch of job hunting on the side right. because like what if it's not the thing that's objectively the very best great thing yeah mm-hmm. what if there's something better and you know, like applying for jobs takes time it takes energy it takes like uh emotional resilience and like feeling like you constantly have to be putting some of your attention on whether there's something better even if you don't then switch to mm-hmm. it uh like still results in you paying like pretty significant costs yeah yeah that sounds totally right yeah okay so what is the like better decision making process if this is the kind of trap uh, you fall into? I have a thing which has worked really well for me. I think works cool. well for like lots of people and probably won't work for, well for everyone. Um, I think I'll just like try to describe the thing, but then I've got a metaphor I've been playing with that maybe I want to try and describe as well. Right. But like, let's just try and do the thing. Sure. <laughs> um, so the thing is like you stick to some policy which is like i'm gonna look at a bunch of things i'm gonna like actually seriously consider my options and then with all of the information i have Mm -hmm. i'm gonna make a decision and i'm gonna make the decision to like do the thing that seems best for like some fixed period of time Mm -hmm. and like at the end of that fixed period of time then i will consider other options and like i think for most people you don't have to make this like a fully binding commitment that you just instantly say no as soon as anyone says have you considered Mm -hmm. i think of it as like it is a strong default Mm -hmm. like if someone says hey have you thought about doing this other thing i can just say oh the next time i'm looking at options is in a couple of years like if you want to pitch me on this really really hard Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i'm not going to like rule out ever doing anything before that time ever but like you should know that you've got a lot of work to do to convince me to even really think about this because like my plan is to stay for this long. Right. Strong um, default is I stay doing this for two years because I said I would. I thought about it really hard. It seemed like one of the best options. And there are so many costs to constantly considering these other opportunities that I'm mostly not going to. Again, unless uh, you want to make the case that it's really, really important that I do. And then maybe we could be convinced. And it sounds like you're allowing for that. But Yeah, I, I think I allow for that. Um, I can imagine it being good for some people, especially people who fall more on the axis of like they will actually stay at the thing but they'll feel guilty about not considering the other options yeah i can imagine some of these people going like no i actually made a commitment that i don't want to break yeah maybe i made a bad decision in making that commitment but Mm. like i made it and i and i stick to my commitments i think that could work for some people i i I get like plenty of reassurance from the strong default thing nice nice yeah Um, yeah you said you had a metaphor uh for for this kind of thing what what is that metaphor (laughs) so yeah, maybe I'll just try and describe it. I think the metaphor is, is it's trying to point out not like the strategy. The strategy is pretty clear. It's like gather some information, make a decision with that information, stick to that decision for some period of time that you've planned in advance, and then like reevaluate, gather some more information, and yep. then make a new decision. The least bad metaphor that I've come up with is you're like rowing a boat on your own and you're like trying to get somewhere and you've got like, I don't know, some some map that you need to look at to see where you're going. I imagine like a map and compass because it's a bit more fiddly, which will help later <laughs> on. But I think sure. actually like pulling out your phone and unlocking it and looking at Google Maps is like maybe fine. Mm. And the point here is I speak as someone who has like, I don't know, ever been in a boat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but as but I gather that like when you're rowing, you're facing back. Like you can't see where you're going. Mm. You've just got to like sit there and like pull both of the oars and then like do that a bunch of times and the boat goes forwards and then like, I don't know how you steer, probably pull harder with one side, something like that. And I think what's nice about this is like, 
I can imagine, uh, and you're just going to have to, if you're listening to this, like, imagine me doing some really uh, effective miming. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> you like sitting forwards in the boat and like trying to hold the map like mm. with your left hand while it's gripping the oar and trying to hold the compass with your right hand while it's gripping the oar, like pushing them rather than pulling them while like looking at where you're going. So you're always precisely on track. Mm. But like, my guess is you're just going to go super slowly <laughs> because like that's not how to row a boat. Yep. Whereas you can imagine someone else, maybe someone that's racing you, who is like going to point the boat in like pretty much the right direction. They're not exactly sure it's the right direction and they might go a bit off course and then mm. they go like, cool, I'm going to like row hard for like a minute. Yep. And then I'm going to like stop and check I'm pointing in the right direction. And then I'm going to row hard for another minute. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. So on the flip side, another mistake people can make is spending too long uh, working out if the path they're on is the very best rather than just doing the path and, and kind of doing well in it. Can you say more about what that looks like? Yeah, it's funny because I think this has the same solution, actually, which is like <laughs> you spend a, bu a bunch of time like trying to work out what the best thing is, given the information you have. Mm. And then you just like try to do that thing for a bit. Right. There's maybe an additional reason that this works well in this case, which is actually like desk research, uh, gathering information about what's best has like diminishing returns pretty quickly. Mm, sure. Like sometimes to know if you're good at a thing and whether you like the thing, you actually have to try to do the thing rather than just read about right. what the thing is. But yeah, so like it's a similar dynamic, it's a similar internal monologue on often of like something like moral perfectionism. Mm. Yeah, is this really the best thing? Should I be doing the best thing? Am I like taking the easy way out? Like what if there's something better? Yep. The difference with this example is like people are like noticing that they might have that feeling if they start a thing and are starting nothing instead. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I want to say, you know, we'll have done some caveating of various points about like mistake is not a perfect framing. And I, I do think that like it is not the best way to like actually be doing the best thing to like just sit and wait until you're like absolutely sure. Like sometimes you're just not going to be absolutely sure and you just got to try something. But like, you know, I think some people who end up in this position are actually tracking the possibility of the failure we just talked about mm -hmm. where like they start doing a thing and then they're so worried about whether it's the best that they're just miserable and like they never find out if it is the best thing for them because right. they're not putting all of their effort in because they got one foot out of the door because they think something else could be better i do want to say kind of like well done for noticing that and and wanting to avoid it like mm -hmm. uh, and the solution isn't just like start something while worrying about whether it's the best thing the solution is like well like you're never going to have all of the information mm -hmm. so like gather some out of information that feels like it is a reasonable amount to gather. I claim that you should decide what is a reasonable amount of information to gather before you start <laughs> gathering it, rather than gather information until yep. you think you've worked it out. And then just go with that for a bit and you will learn more about yourself and about the thing you're trying mm. with that. I think maybe one thing is we implicitly were talking about like a scale of a couple of years because I think that's like about right for people who are where we are in our careers. Mm -hmm. And who are making, you know, or like in danger of making a mistake, which is more like being in a thing and worrying about whether there's something else. Right. I think if you're relatively new and you don't know what you might be good at, then it might be that you do an information gathering thing, which is closer to like, I'm going to spend a day thinking about this. Yep. And then I'm going to like try like finding out more about this thing for a week. Yep. And then I'll like reevaluate and the evaluation will either be like, oh, this is going pretty well. I should spend like another three weeks on this. Or I, I don't feel like it's great about this anymore. Maybe I'll try something else for like a week. Um, totally. Like the, the time scale of the information gathering and of the actually just trying to do a thing 
should get like longer the mm. further on in the, your career and the more confident you are in the broad strokes thing you're trying. But I do think it's very, very rare that the time you spend just purely gathering information is even like 20% as long as the time you spend actually doing the thing. I think I think like probably you should spend like uh, much less time just purely desk-based research, gathering information before you make a decision. Right. Uh, and then you should probably be like mostly just trying to do a thing for a bit. That makes sense. So the fact that I once spent about a month deciding whether to do a role for 12 months is probably not the right way to have done it. I don't know. I don't think that's like insane, especially if, you know, like <laughs> it, it depends like how difficult the choice was and what the other options were. Like, it seems better than spending six months wondering whether there are any roles you should apply to sure. and then applying to three. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think it seems like pretty reasonable to if you're like in work and there is one option that seems like it could possibly be better and you haven't already made some like hard default commitment to like this is not the time I evaluate. Mm -hmm. I think spending a month while mostly doing your job, having some attention on whether you want to try something else, that seems like about the right amount of time. So do you think the main thing going on here is something like moral perfectionism? It's like, this is such a high stakes decision. I need to be absolutely sure I've picked the best thing for me, given, I don't know, what's important and my personal fit. And I need to nail all of those factors down before taking action with my career. My guess is that's like one thing that could be causing this. I don't have a great sense of like the relative frequency i think this is probably the main thing that using this like pick a direction strategy is is helping in my case mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, I, th I think mm -hmm. like i have a lot of this yeah but i can imagine there are some other dynamics that lead to a kind of similar place so like one other dynamic could be pressure from other people and this is like not quite the same flavor as like moral perfectionism in some internal sense but just you know, I think there are dynamics in the EA community where people are like, but are you doing the best thing, though? Yeah. Luckily, I think there are also dynamics where people just go like, oh, no, I have a policy about when I reevaluate this. That's just like yep. <laughs> not as weird a thing to say as it might be in some other circles. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's one that's one other or like related but different dynamic that could be causing this kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that could be going on there? Yeah. I think one other feature of this kind of problem is actually just that like often the decisions are just ones that it's really hard to be that sure of, like mm, unusually hard. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, all of all of these have some overlap with each other. But like, especially if you're working on like causes that are to do with catastrophic risk or like potential future people, like there's just a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of like uh, moral uncertainty. There's a lot of empirical uncertainty. And then there's like additional uncertainty about like it being kind of hard to notice what good feedback loops are. Um, yeah. And so maybe some of what's going on isn't that people are like making a mistake in the abstract about how high standards of evidence need to be or how good a person you need to be in terms of being sure you're doing the best thing. Mm -hmm. But they're more just like not noticing that the position they're in is one of like unusually high uncertainty. And so they're saying like, I think reasonably sure is the standard I should be meeting here. Right. Because for most decisions like this, most people would be reasonably sure. And then what's going on is like reasonably sure is actually just a way higher bar for the specific decision they're facing yeah. than uh, the like average case for a person on this planet. Yeah. And maybe it's worth saying that it like feels 
it can feel bad to like be making a very big stakesy decision where we say on the website, it's your most important decision. And if you're only like a little bit sure uh, that you're making the right call, that does suck. It's like shitty that we're making decisions under this much uncertainty and and you've got to be pretty brave uh, to do it. And so it won't necessarily feel easy or good, but props if you if you manage to make decisions under that much uncertainty without being overly perfectionistic about it. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm I think it is at least on my books an admirable thing to be able to do. I think I maybe also want to pitch for like it being the right thing. Mm. <laughs> or at least right under some sense of like if you think expected value is like a reasonable framework to use uh, in some sense of this kind of decision, then I then I do actually want to say like I think having this kind of policy is actually the thing that seems best mm. in expectation. Um, and that's actually a lot of what I am trying to do with these like analogies I've been playing with, like the rowing one is like, look, I just think that you are paying some cost in like not pointing the boat in the right direction. And then you are getting a like speed up. You are, you know, <laughs> the boat's moving faster. Right. What does this translate to? Like, you're doing better at the thing you're currently doing because you have more focus on it. Mm -hmm. um, probably you're also gaining more information about how well you're doing at that thing mm -hmm. because you're like focusing more on it. And so I'm just saying like, I think you don't have the option of like both knowing that you're pointing in exactly the right direction and rowing as hard as you can. Maybe that's the bit <laughs> that I just want to like stick with. Like there is no choice you, you can make where you know everything that you could possibly know and you've been trying as hard as you possibly can to just do the thing and not worry about gathering more information. Mm. Like the options you have are like spend more effort on the thing and less effort gathering information yeah. or more effort gathering information and less effort on the thing. And I They think, are trade-offs. Yeah, and I think actually like noticing that there is a trade-off here mm. is, is maybe one way of making it like feel a bit less stakesy yeah, or a bit less Yeah, more hard. like it is the right thing to do is like I want to be like morally good by making sure I'm doing the right thing and then noticing that you could also try to be really morally good by uh, doing a thing that you think is most likely to be the best thing you can be doing doing it for a bit longer trying to get better at it by doing it those yeah. are all worthy good important things too cool yeah let's talk about another one so Another mistake that's familiar to me is the idea that I shouldn't do my own cause prioritization because I won't make progress beyond what others uh, like people at Open Philanthropy or ADK have done. Why Why is that a mistake? Yeah, I think to some extent, I think it's like not, <laughs> it, it is just fine. Like certainly I think the version where like you say, no, I can't listen to anyone else who's thought about this. I've got to reason through things for myself from first principles feels like maybe an even bigger mistake. Mm. Um yeah, why do I why did I still pick up on there being something here? I think that people will often do a version of this, which is like, I actually have some intuitions or some initial thoughts, mm -hmm. but like clearly there's not going to be any signal in those because these super smart people in their ivory towers have figured everything out. Mm -hmm. So like the reason I have those intuitions is because I'm bad or stupid and I should just squash them and do the thing that someone else said was the best thing. And I'm like I don't know, a bunch of stuff I've said elsewhere. Like, doesn't sound like it's going to go that well for you if you, like, actually have intuitions pointing in a different direction. And, like, the goal of you trying to think through these things for yourself is not to, like, solve all of moral philosophy. Mm. It's just to, like, work out which things you want to point at and, like, whether you have done enough of an information gather that you can feel okay going, like, 
yeah, maybe I don't know exactly what all of the fine details are, but like something in this direction seems like it's something that's worth me trying hard to get. And I think like, yeah, that's that's maybe the the level I'd want to leave it even is just like you are allowed to think through stuff for yourself. If you notice that there's some internal tension, like spend some time thinking about it. Don't automatically assume that the reason the internal tension's there is because like someone else got the right answer and mm. you just have to like push yourself until you've got the right answer. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't think that people should like first solve all of moral philosophy and then try to do any job at all. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that just sounds super reasonable to me. So let's go ahead and move to another one. Another common mistake you've seen people make is not following conventional wisdom on careers as much as they should. I'm sure there are lots of examples of this, but um, is there a, is there one that comes to mind? Yeah, so I think, yeah, maybe the most, most important example is underemphasizing the value of getting good mentorship. And I think partly this is a like, this is a conventional piece of wisdom about careers. In particular, there's like another level of the conventional wisdom aspect here where like, I think lots of good mentorship is available outside of the like specific focus that uh, you might have for your career. Mm. This might be like, if you're interested in being a researcher, doing a project with someone who is an academic, but mm -hmm. like not an academic who's interested in exactly the technical sure. field you want. And this is just, there isn't a ton of mentorship in the very narrow fields that uh, most people who are focusing really hard on impact are pointing at, mm -hmm. uh, partly because they've picked those for neglectedness, among other things. Yep. Yeah, so I guess that's one. It's just like, you should be thinking about how fast you're able to learn and improve, especially early on. And I claim as a former teacher, to be fair, so there's some bias <laughs> here mm -hmm. that like, who is helping you learn who can you point to as a good example is like a really big aspect of how good a job is for you. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had the experience of getting good mentorship and how valuable was that for you? Yeah, I think I have, I think I've experienced a variety of qualities of mentorship and maybe this is why it is extremely salient, mm. but like, I think some of the experiences I've had here being managed by Michelle, especially actually as I've transitioned into management myself, have just, uh, I think, allowed me to develop far faster mm. than I would have uh, would have done absent that. Like, cool. it's just really useful to be able to make mistakes and feel like psychologically safe enough to say, "Hey, I think I messed up this thing. Can we mm -hmm. like talk about like what I maybe should have done instead?" Mm. And yeah, maybe that's like a specific example of of the kind of mentorship that can be really valuable. Is someone who like you trust enough and feel safe enough with to like ask them about like specific things you messed up and get feedback on how to fix them rather than just try a different thing next time. Yep. And then, you know, a large part of that is like, you also want to rate them uh, enough that you're going to listen when they say you should have done this. Right. Yeah. Why, why do you think so many people are failing to get this uh, given how valuable it is? I think part of it is that I mean, like your ideal mentor, right, is someone who has the same values as you, who knows you really well, and who is like spending a ton of time helping you improve at this thing, while also the thing you're doing is something you're already good at and is like really good for the world. And mm. like, that's just a lot of things. And there's not that many people like that for most people. And then in particular, if you're in a small community of like, often pretty young people, mm. it's going to be unusually hard to find a mentor who is also part of that community. So some of this is just like, there are not that many great mentors to go around. If you find one that ticks all of the boxes, you're really lucky and you should like 
really, really be excited about that. Mm. But if you don't find one who ticks the specific box of like being a great mentor for you, Mm -hmm. then I think, yeah, maybe I just want to say like upweight that consideration compared to several others, like even how much impact am I having right now this second? I think, especially if you are planning to, you know, be trying to do good for quite a while, I would encourage more people than are currently, in my opinion, doing Mm -hmm. it to sacrifice some like immediate impact over Mm. the next like few months or years Mm -hmm. for a like really good learning opportunity where they can uh, like, yeah, put themselves in a great position to do good work later. Yeah. Okay. So practically speaking, that might mean something like if two roles seem pretty great, you're choosing between them. One of them seems a bit better on impact. The other one has exceptionally good mentorship. It's not crazy to choose the one that's uh, plausibly worse on impact in order to get the huge boost from the mentorship. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And maybe another example of this would be something like, uh, let's stick with like an academic sure. one. So like, yeah, you're you're trying to find a like supervisor for a research project, maybe for a graduate degree. And there's someone who is like known for just producing phenomenal students mm. year after year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this could be that their students get into the top conferences. It could be that their students just like go on to have really successful careers in other fields. It could just be that you've spoken to some of their current students and They've just said she's always there for me and like is really, really supportive with all mm. of the stuff that I've struggled with and like knows so much about this field. And then there's also someone who like maybe even it's not that you know that they're bad on any of these axes, but you just like don't know them that well. Sure. But like uh, they have an interest in clean air and that is you know, clean air specifically for like pandemic prevention. And that is the thing you're really interested in. Yep. And I'm just like. Yeah, I mean, ideally find out more information about both. Like grad school is a big decision. Mm-hmm. Asking to speak to some current students of both seems like a good idea. But like, it seems possible that if you're going to be doing, you know, some relevant research in both, taking the mentor who is like a bit less aligned with your ultimate values, but way better for you at like actually helping you learn a bunch of useful skills mm-hmm. and research. I imagine that's the best trade more often than I perceive people to be taking it. Cool, cool. Yeah. Are there other examples of kind of conventional career wisdom that uh, people are ignoring or just not putting enough weight on? Yeah. So I think another one is um, like just doing a normal job at a like company or organization that's known for like being run well. Mm. Um, And I think this is just like there are there are trade offs. If you join some small scrappy startup with only three people, then like seems totally possible that you get to gain a bunch of responsibility really quickly. And like, that might be the best choice for some people. Mm -hmm. But like, sometimes just, you know, really established programs that like, know how to grab like, smart graduates without much work experience, Mm -hmm. and like, turn them into extremely valuable employees really quickly, just are actually good at that. Like, Mm. I don't know, trying really hard to do a thing for many years probably makes you at least decent at that thing. Maybe if I can think of some specific examples from different fields here, like I notice that many of the people I am like just incredibly impressed with on mm-hmm. the like on their ability to think about different like quantitative technical problems have at some point worked at Jane Street. Interesting. Um, okay. And like to be clear, I think some of this is probably that whoever <laughs> Jane Street's recruiters are, they're doing a really good job of just like selecting people who are super bright and talented. But my guess is that some of it is like there's a bunch of competent people that work there. They know how to take a certain kind of like bright, talented person and like help them learn how to think about particular things in a particular way. And like, at least if that is the case, then like 
that should upweight your uh, potential like decision to go in that direction. I have I have a hypothesis which I think might explain some of this like underrating mm. these heuristics, and it's something like being too wary of like suspicious convergence. Huh. Um, I've used that phrase because there's an old blog post that I actually really like called something like "Beware Surprising and Suspicious Convergence." Yep. Yeah, we can link to that. You can read it. I'm not trashing the post. I think it's a good post. But I think there is a version of this flag which is like, "Huh." this decision I'm about to make would be good for me, like selfishly good for me. Mm. So like, I've got to be careful about picking that decision because mm-hmm. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be doing good for the world. Right, right. <laughs> and maybe all I need to say here is like, sometimes what's good for you <laughs> and what's good for the world is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, yeah, don't, don't over adjust. Don't, right. don't go like, well, normal people just care about signaling and just care about working for the biggest, most impressive company. And I care about what's good for the world. So I guess I should wait signaling at zero and mm-hmm, working for mm-hmm. a big, impressive company at zero. And I'm like, yeah. I was with you until you said zero. <laughs> and like, you should uh-huh. still care about them at all. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, I maybe want to reference another post that I've I've referenced before, uh, actually in the blog post I wrote for the site. Uh, and the post is entitled something like, uh, political debates shouldn't be one-sided. And I think it's actually pointing to like a kind of similar thing to the thing you described, which might be the thing in this suspicious convergence post, but it seems important to me, which is like, yeah, if like all of the reasons you have for doing a thing point towards doing the thing, um, then yeah, like, are you using motivated reasoning? Right. That seems like kind of likely, right? Like often decisions are just hard and different trade-offs point in different directions. And maybe what I'm saying in this, like, don't totally ignore normal career heuristics or like conventional career wisdom is is to say yeah political debates they might not be one-sided or or like yeah they shouldn't be perfectly one-sided they also aren't necessarily going to be perfectly balanced right right um and yeah it's just like yeah sometimes there are considerations pushing in one direction and there are more of those than pushing in the other direction yeah and you shouldn't go like oh no, both the good things for me and mm-hmm. the good things for the world mostly say this thing. So clearly the good things for me are like, maybe right. the good thing the world has to be in the other thing. Like sometimes you don't have a really hard trade-off. Yeah, sometimes you just get really lucky and you get to do all the things that are good for you and the things that are good for the world. Yeah, I guess it's probably also the case that like, some types of these reasons will be more likely to trigger some suspicion. Uh, it'll be like things that feel selfish to you. Um, it probably varies for different people. And Yeah, I guess that just seems like traditional conventional wisdom feels like it's really privileging or like it's often aimed at people and for people who like want a lot of money and power. And a lot of people trying to do good in the world think those motivations are like at least not the most important ones and maybe sometimes bad and corrupting. And so it's just really, really likely that you're going to feel kind of allergic to things that get you those things. And that just seems understandable coming from probably a nice, good place that causes you to be more altruistic than an average person, but that can be a bias that might, uh, yeah, make you make worse decisions or be suspicious of decisions that you shouldn't be. Yeah, I think that seems like possible. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's this thing that's like, oh, yeah, the people who care really a lot about this seem like kind of sus. So maybe I should care like zero about it. Yeah, I have some like maybe slightly more general version of this that I think could be going on. Um, and I think could be going on in a bunch of other places as well, 
which looks more like you're with a group of people who have like noticed that the world on average is making a mistake. Mm. And so you're like, you're not going to make that mistake. Right. And so yeah, here, maybe the world, like, the, yeah, the world thinks like status is too important. And right. so you're like, well, I'm not going to make the mistake the world makes. Yep. And then, yeah, and I don't know how true this is. It probably depends on the situation. But I think there are some like dynamics you can end up in when you have a few friends who also notice the world is making that mistake. It's like the way to show how like free thinking you are, the way to mm-hmm. show how like rational, how like independent, how agency Altruistic. you are is is to like really, really not make the mistake that the world makes, really yeah. push in the other direction. Yeah. yeah and I think like the, the altruistic angle is like one aspect of this. And sure. this is maybe the most like, yeah, the most adjacent to some of the other things we've talked about in terms of moral perfectionism. I think there can be a version of this that, you know, might be a bit harder to hear if it sounds like it's it's something that you do. Uh, and it's closer to just like, you're actually just playing the signaling game still, but you're playing it with a different right. circle. You're playing with people <laughs> who are very rational and you want to show that you are not blindly following conventional wisdom. You're like thinking it through for yourself and you think actually most people have it wrong, but you're smarter than them. Yeah, I think this um, can often come up in a context of like biting philosophical bullets mm, um, mm-hmm. where like, uh, yeah, you've you've realized what I consider to be like an important fact about the world, which is like, most people have moral intuitions that like end up conflicting in some way. And so they will end up needing to notice that there is at least one unpleasant conclusion that they will have to reach. And I think that's like a, an important thing to realize. And it's a thing that most people don't realize. Mm-hmm. And so like maybe you've realized that and you go, oh, cool, I should like probably bite one of these bullets. <laughs> and then there's like something which is like, I bite all the bullets, uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, you know, enthusiastically biting them. Um, or even just like, you know, maybe arguing really strongly that they're not even bad. They're like tasty bullets. Uh, and I'm like, what's going on here? I have some hypothesis that what's going on is like the way to show that you are like part of this like group of cool people who has like broken away from the like sheep of mainstream society mm-hmm. is to like push really hard in the direction where like moving somewhat in that direction away from mainstream society seems like clearly the correct thing to do. And you're like, yep. well, this is good. So more of it's better. <laughs> so I'll move as far away from that position as possible. And like, yeah. I don't know, most extreme positions seem kind of wrong. As such a theme from this conversation is like, we notice something important. We try to correct for a mistake that we make and then we correct too far and end up making a very different mistake with uh, other consequences that are bad. Just seems like another clear case of it. Are there other examples you want to highlight of like, yeah, ignoring conventional wisdom in careers? Yeah, I don't know. There probably are. And like maybe, maybe, maybe you should just take away some message, which is like, yeah, my guess is if you're career planning, you should at least ask the question. I in fact do when I when I uh talk to people, if you weren't worrying about impact at all, like what decisions would you be making? Like, mm-hmm. I think you should like know what that path looks like. Mm. And let's say someone told you that like whatever you chose to do just turned out to be like really great for others. Mm-hmm. Um, just like whatever you, you happen to like get some like luck potion and just like whatever you choose turns out to just be like great for the world. Like, what do you really hope you like decide to do? Or like, yeah, this is like find find some way of like ruling out the like what's best for other people sure. thing and just like ask yourself what that path looks like, what Mm -hmm. strategies you would be considering if you were on that path. And then like, don't instantly rule them out once you start considering the importance of helping other people as well. Like probably your decisions will change. Probably it won't look exactly the same, but like it won't look exactly the same and it will look like the exact opposite. opposite. (laughs) Feel like pretty different claims. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds totally right. 
Cool. So yeah, I guess a lot of people come to ADK Advisors with the idea that they should do community building of some kind for the field of AI, for example. And the thinking is that they don't think they're a good fit to work on AI directly, um, but they can still imagine having a big impact by convincing other people to work on AI. When is this line of reasoning a mistake? Yeah, so I guess like <laughs> maybe the the like thing that uh, should be kind of obvious is like, if you would in fact hate community building, <laughs> that's like a pretty good reason to think it might be a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like just a common feature of lots of the stuff I end up saying where people are like worried that maybe they should be doing something that they really don't want to do. And I'm like, probably you shouldn't be doing something that you really don't want to do. I think maybe the answer to like, how do I know if it's a mistake is like, I don't know, it depends on a bunch of facts about you and a bunch of facts about the situation you're in. And like, that's why we do an individual service. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some reasons that could cause people to make a mistake in this direction. I think this thing about like, I really want to like be doing the best thing right now, rather than like, I want to like help other people as much as possible. Yeah, the sort of way it might come apart is clearly if you hate it, it's a reason not to do it. Sure. If you're like struggling for time and you don't see your like long run path looking mm. very much like it contains the same kind of skills as community building helps you develop at the moment then I suspect that like you'd be better served setting yourself up well for whatever that other long-term path is, even at the cost of a little bit of impact right now. Mm. And yeah, so like maybe that's a useful way of like distinguishing when it seems like it might be a good idea is like, well, what kind of skills are you building while you're doing it? Like, what are you getting out of it? And if you're not getting that much out of it that you expect to use later, Mm -hmm. then like it might be a good idea. And if it'd be really fun and if you have a spare time, then fine. But as soon as you're like, hmm, the reason I'm doing this is because I feel like I need to be having some impact Mm -hmm. and I don't see it being like a long-term thing, then my guess is like biting the bullet of like, no, I'm not going to have quite as much impact this year. I'm going to set myself up well for having impact later. You're allowed to do it on my lights. Great. Yeah. So that's everything we planned to talk about today. And I feel like I've gotten loads out of it. Like I'm around 80K. I hear lots of people talk about some of these things uh, and I still just learned a lot um, and hopefully will make a few of these mistakes myself in my career. So one, thank you. But before we wrap up, I am curious if, I don't know, you had any reflections having done this or or just like any other mistakes that come to mind that we can cover before we before we call it? Thank, thank you both for being up for chatting about it and sharing a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of your own experiences looking at some of these things. Yeah, I think I maybe noticed as we were talking a couple of themes that we kept coming back to. And mm. I'm not sure I'll catch all of them, but it seems worth trying to. Yeah, trying let's to do that. Out. Yeah, maybe one theme that seems worth pulling out is something like going too far in a good direction. Yeah, I think lots of the stuff we've talked about has been like conventional wisdom says this. You've like noticed that conventional wisdom seems to like not be tracking quite the thing you care about. Mm-hmm. Or like uh, maybe even you just think conventional wisdom is is like wrong. And so you go, cool, I want to move conventional wisdom in like this direction. And then you just like move it way too hard in that direction. Yep. And I think I don't want to even make the general claim that like, oh, you should never move things that far. I, I in fact think you should push some things like pretty hard and keep other things at like a satisfying level. Sure. But yeah, I think there's some amount of like uh, the correct 
update to make is not always like a really, really big one. Right. To the other extreme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just makes sense. And it it also makes sense that it's hard. And so lots of people make these quote unquote mistakes. Like if the optimal amount to move in a direction is like a bit, but not all the way to the other extreme, finding the exact spot uh, that's ideal is just going to be really, really hard. And especially when you've got decisions as hard as these, we've already kind of qualified that like people should not feel bad or guilty or ashamed uh, if they've done some of these things. It's just difficult because you're doing this balancing act. I think it's actually a dynamic of of like, I don't know, how language is structured or how people speak to each other that that makes this hard to talk about hmm. um, and I don't mean hard emotionally I mean like uh, just like literally <laughs> we don't quite have the right vocabulary for mm-hmm. it uh, and the thing that I want to point out here is like we don't have a like neat single word for like I agree with you in like the direction but not as hard as you yeah like uh, if people are sort of estimating probabilities then you can there's still not one word, but there's an idea. It's like, let's say you think there's a 90% chance something's going to happen. Yep. And I think there's like a 75% chance it's going to happen. It, like, you know, in this case, I can say, I think it's less likely. And it's still kind of hard to explain why, if I explain why it's less likely, but I don't say any numbers, my guess is an observer that didn't hear the side of the conversation isn't really going to be able to tell whether I'm saying 75% or like 10. Right. It's um, like, are you saying it's less likely than I think and therefore you think it's unlikely or are you saying it's less likely than I think uh it's still probably going to happen but you believe it less strongly than I do yeah and so yeah so I think I think that's exactly it so so it's just like it's just kind of clumsy and awkward Mm. to talk about situations where like you and the person you're talking to both basically think like uh this thing on the left rather than this thing on the right that everyone else thinks. But you're like a bit closer to the right than they are. Yeah. Um, it's just like kind of a difficult dynamic. And so I think part of what's going on here is like if lots of your friends and people you talk to about your career decisions like are in a kind of similar place to you compared to like conventional wisdom, it's going to be like hard for them to error correct. It's like you don't, they don't have quite the right vocabulary to mm. error correct without uh, just saying conventional wisdom Yeah. I wonder, that made me think another thing that might contribute to this isn't just the fact that like you've realized maybe correctly that updating a certain direction is the right thing to do. But the more you're in a community that like has lots of people making that update, the more you might hear a bunch of people saying roughly the same thing, which is like, you should probably care less about conventional career wisdom than you might have thought before. And if like 20 people say it, you'll be like, each time you might get incrementally more extreme when like really it's all mostly just like one very correlated data point that should make you update some uh but less extremely than you than you might think yeah and i i think that is actually like an important dynamic to talk about directly because like look we're both sitting here working for eighty thousand hours and like uh it just is the case that lots of people saying (laughs) one-line things about careers have like heard something like that one-line thing at some point somewhere on the eighty thousand hours website and so like we do actually have like specific reason to believe that there will be correlation in this place if if like you and the four people you're talking about this with all listen to the same podcast and got <laughs> advice totally. from me or someone else on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that does seem worth pointing to as another part of this dynamic. Not only is it like hard to do the error correction, but just like 
Maybe you hear the same thing five times and you treat this as five independent pieces of evidence. Probably not consciously. Probably if someone asked you, like, how correlated did you expect these opinions to be? You'd say very correlated. But like, no one asked you that. So you just like heard the five things and went, wow, really sounds like I'm underrating. Right. A bunch of different people think that this thing is underrated. I should update really hard. Yeah. And then are there other themes that seem important? I'm I'm like (laughs) really uncertain about how uh, or like how widespread this is. Uh, though I'm also uncertain about how wi- widespread exactly these like correlated ideas dynamics mm. actually are. Mm-hmm. But I do think some of the things we talked about are like related to moral perfectionism or feeling like a very strong obligation to help others. Yeah. And I think the reason I'm pausing here is I think we both as individuals feel this a ton. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, I I typical mind a bit when I'm talking to people. I sometimes think, wow, this person's experiencing this thing. They must be thinking about it in exactly the same way as me. And like, this probably isn't true. Um, so like my best guess is that like fewer than a hundred percent of people who are making some of these mistakes that we've labeled internally for us as like, this is a like moral perfectionism adjacent thing. Um, yeah, it's probably not all of the reason. It's probably not for all people. But my guess is it's for more people than just us. Yeah, um, and like. Right. Yeah, I think the episode that our colleague Rob did with uh, Tim LeBon uh, is like a good starting point if you're interested in exploring this more. I, I got a lot out of it. Absolutely, I did too. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been this has been great. I think people. Uh, well, I hope I hope you I hope you get a lot out of it. I guess if you made it this far, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Um, I <laughs> hope I said some sensible stuff. I'm kind of sitting here going, "Oh wow, I said a lot of stuff. Maybe some of it's true." <laughs> If we didn't earlier say the mistake of you hear someone that sounds pretty confident and pretty mm-hmm. smart on a podcast saying these are the conclusions you should reach. So you just go, cool, I should reach those conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that without evaluating them. If you think I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong. Relatedly, like the advice for one person, uh, you'll want the opposite for another. So if you think if you think Alex is wrong, if you think I'm wrong, it might also be because uh, you happen to be one of the people who needs to hear the opposite thing. And that is also fine and normal. But we'll leave it there. Thanks again. All right. The audio engineering team is led by Ben Cordell with mastering and technical editing for this episode by Milo McGuire and Dominic Armstrong. Editing for this episode by a combination of myself, Katie Moore, and Kieran Harris, who also produces the show. And full transcripts and an extensive collection of links to learn more are available on our site and put together by Katie Moore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.